So Preston, you hit me up a while ago about someone who went down to a library that has some of George's earlier drafts and other works, and uh, they found some writings that may lean towards your Grand Maester conspiracy and prove you right about it. What's what's going on with that? Well, I mean, prove prove might be a little strong because obviously something that's not published is not canon. But um, you know, but we we have to give a lot of props to uh, Reddit u- user G Steph. So G Steph. Um, spent a lot of time to go to Texas A&M's Cushing Library and go through George R. Martin's um, stuff. Now, for those people that don't know, uh, George R. Martin has put a whole bunch of old correspondences, emails with fans, with with uh, with his editors, with um, old props, all sorts of old um, drafts of of previous books. Uh, not just Ice and Fire, some previous stuff too, but mostly Ice and Fire, obviously. Um, and every once in a while, fans go through these boxes, and there's like a hundred of these boxes, so it's 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 very wait it's wait very... they're they're allowed to go through them? Yeah, yeah. Anybody that, off the thing that they allow? Anybody off the street? You know, if you can get get access to the library, you know, get a, get a membership or whatever. You you might have to be. A, I'm not sure if you have to be a student at in the uh the university of texas system or whatever or or however but you know if you have access to the texas a&m cushing library yes you can go in and actually the fans that have done this have been some somewhat shocked that they were just like like we're just like hey can i go in and people are like okay here you go and you're oh jesus (laughs) you know um but obviously you know it's a library you have to be you can't destroy things you can't take anything with you like that sort of stuff but um, the most famous situation so far that, uh, that happened. And actually I think G Steph's, um, work is, is much better than the original even, but the, the most famous was, um, this Reddit user named Honeybird who went to the Cushing library and went through the, a dance with dragons drafts and found in the, in the, um, the margins of a draft that, that, uh, George had given to the editor, his editor, the editor asked, um, is this Benjen during, during a exchange with cold hands and George wrote in, in no, you know, in the, um, margins. I remember so, I did a video on that. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, what G stuff has found is, is there's just much more. I mean, I think, I think, um, because it's not necessarily dance with dragons, people might not have as much interest, but, uh, you know, finding all of these different what what G stuff essentially found was um, alternate versions of the A Feast for Crow, Crow's prologue, as well as correspondence with his with George and his editor about the A Feast for Crow's prologue and how it relates to um, various things that George wanted to establish in that. With and these this relates to high towers, maesters, glass candles. And, and such everything that we'd find in the in the prologue um george was talking to his editor about this and because there are not there's there are a few versions of there's three versions of the prologue that he found in the um that g stuff found in the uh, library there's some interesting aspects um uh things that strengthen theories uh, things that get into george's head um, and again, stuff that's not published, 
uh, is not is not canon, but still we get we get into George's mind a little bit when when it comes to what he was thinking when he was writing things about, say, Aleros or the glass candles or Marwyn or the high towers and stuff like that. So, um, uh, so yeah, I mean, essentially, G. Steph went through the correspondences and found that um, George was having a lot of trouble with the Feast for Crows prologue, uh, and he he rewrote it. It spent him, he was rewriting it for a couple years, he writes, and that he had, he didn't really, he wrote 12 different versions of it, and he wasn't sure which version his editor would like, so he actually sends his editor all three, a three, his three, the three that he thinks are the best, which is essentially a, a long version, a short version uh, and a rosy version that one of the versions of the prologue was not from Pate's perspective, but from Rosie, the sex workers, uh, um, perspective in- instead. So it's kind of, kind of, kind of interesting stuff. Um, he also writes that he essentially had a bullet, uh, list of seven things that he was trying to achieve with the prologue that he thought was important. Um, and uh which were essentially one Danny and her dragons have have arrived in Westeros and Westeros is aware of it um and then two that he, they were getting introduced to old town and the citadel um and becoming familiar with that so that the readers would know more about like what that is and the city and and, and get the feel for that i would say actually george fails on that front i think reading the prologue and Samuel five, you get very little idea of what old town and the Citadel are like. And I would have wanted more of that, but um, his, the third thing that George uh, wanted to introduce was um, a various characters that are going to be important in the future. Uh, specifically lazy Leo and Alaros the Sphinx. And he was attempting to introduce even 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 the the bit characters like Armin and Molander and stuff like that, saying that uh, these were um, and that he even thought Rosie was going to be important. But he wanted to introduce all of these these characters that he thought were that were going to be important later. Um, Do we I even have enough time? Think... Do we even have enough time for all of these new characters like right. just coming in here and becoming just as important as what everybody else? Right. I mean, I think he failed in the, in this respect too. I think that uh, all of those characters are given such little time that we know hardly anything about them. I mean, maybe a little bit, you know, we get to know Lazy Leo's personality a bit because his, his personality is strong. But I feel like we hardly even know the Sphinx. We hardly, we, you know, certainly not Armin and Melander. Most people like just forget who those people were, you know. Um, so number four, he wants to imply or suggest that the that the citadel is a player in the game of thrones and that the maesters have their own secret agenda and that he he essentially does shove in that paragraph from marwen i think the fans do focus on that quite a bit um or at least now they do i think as the yeah i'm not sure if in the first few years of of a feast for crows being out people talked about it very much but i think with the the lady dustin um uh uh suspicion of the of the maesters as well people started talking about it after that but 
Um, but the intention so, is there that he did intend for the Macers to be somewhat, you know, the schemers you've always thought they were. Right. And we, we know that, I mean, and obviously with the, with the Marwin accusation is there, it's just whether or not you believe Marwin or think like Marwin is paranoid or whatever. But it, it, it sounds like the fact that like he, this isn't just some sort of random paragraph that he's throwing in there that doesn't mean anything. Like George very specifically wanted to write a prologue that implied this. And of course, of course, it's, it's actually, a failure in the prologue because he, he laid, he has to move that information to Samuel five. So I think a lot of the different versions um, had information. I think that eventually gets moved to, to Samuel five, um, the two, which are our two scenes that, that take place in old town, you know? Um, uh, so, so there's a lot of text that's just pushed over um, from the different versions, but yeah. So I think when, when I say like things he wanted to establish, in the prologue, I think it also means the prologue or Samuel five, but, um, you know, he, he does get, he does get that. He does have that come across. Marwin has his little speech about the, the, the maesters, but a lot of people, I don't know if it's, it's a big focus because a dance with dragons hardly touches on any of this, you know, um, lady Dustin mentions a little bit about the maesters, but like old town were silent on, we're completely silent on old town, all through a dance with dragons. So like people have kind of forgotten about, about, um, about old town. I mean, Jesus, when you think about it, it's been 20 years, right? It's been 20 years. Thing five that he wanted to do was introduce the high towers. Hmm. Um, because they haven't played any role yet. And they're one of the most powerful houses in Westeros. I also think this is something he largely failed at. You know, he, he gets Sam briefly goes through his thoughts about, about the high towers when he's like coming into the city but it's just like there's so many chapters where where george mentions a random house that you just kind of like it just goes over your you know you just kind of your eyes glaze over at some point it's like how many you know how much house history do you want to give like he doesn't do anything that makes you latch onto the high towers um more than than any than any other house, you don't really get the sense that the that the high towers are going to be this huge huge um, players. Now, yeah, if you if you if you crack open your appendices and you see how much space is given to the high towers there, like perhaps you can get that impression. But I think for the average reader, n- no one no one reads the series and is like House High Tower. Now, of course, now that we're watching House of the Dragon, people people think House High Tower is important, but you know the the mystery of House Hightower of why this incredibly important house has been not in the series is is uh, I probably lost to most people. So I'd say that George actually failed in doing a lot of. Um, and then number six is he wanted to show some traditions and cultures and mysteries of Old Town and the Citadel. Um, again, largely a a failure. Like, what did we learn about the Maesters? Like that there's that they do some tests and. They, they hang out at a bar, you know, like that's about all we, the, the acolytes hang out at a bar. We hardly hear anything. And then the last thing he wanted to do was introduce the glass candle. Number seven, he wanted to introduce the glass candle. Um, though George said he was losing confidence with the whole concept, um, which is very, very interesting. So he says that he, um, he tried to write the prologue a dozen times. 
Um, none of them made, made him happy. And he provided three versions, the long version, the short version, the rosy version. Um, the, uh, um, and so in this, in these original versions that, that, uh, George provides, um, Jock and Agar, the hooded man is not seeking a key to the Citadel, but he's seeking the glass candle directly. Um, and so Pate actually sneaks out a glass candle and he's, his, he's bleeding on the leg because he snuck out the glass candle and was hiding it in his, in like in his pant leg. Um, so, you know, in this case, like maybe he decided that it was just impractical or he wanted the glass candles to be bigger, but because um, at the end we do see Jack and Agar near the near the glass candle, but it's funny that like you know he switched it to a key in order to get to the glass candle, you know, because um, yeah, and then the the diversion I think the the diversion of that the keys lead to the vaults, and so a lot of people think that that uh, um, people he's going for a book, but he's it sounds like he's going for the glass candle, which I think I kind I think I kind of a I, I had assumed that he was going for the candle just because, like, the candle turned on. What would draw somebody to Old Town now? So I figured that. But For the um, people listening to this right now who don't know what a, a glass candle is, it's basically a, a candle-shaped dragon glass type of thing. They haven't burned in, like, what, thousands of years? And uh, supposedly when they do, you could use them to communicate with people across the world, uh, get into visions, and, mm-hmm. and what else? Yeah, you, uh, that's essentially what it is. It's essentially a, a, it's a, like glass candles are essentially Skype, except it's Skype, and then it's also you can go into somebody's dreams. It sounds like a like a like a future cell phone, basically. Right, and it's not dissimilar to the Werewood, which is which is important later on, like when we start talking, you know, start talking about later what George was going to write and then didn't put in. But, you know, Bran and 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 Bloodraven or whoever can go to people's into people's dreams with the Werewood and they can see throughout the world with the Werewood. And so it's it it the glass candles are similar in that respect. So we know that 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 uh um uh Quaith has been speaking to to Danny probably with a glass candle. And um we know that Eamon on his ship was getting weird dreams and we kind of get the sense that maybe Marwyn or, or, or Alaros is looking at um, going into his dreams with the glass candle or um, when, when Sam approaches, he says, how did you know we were, I was coming and they kind of, she, the Alaros nods to the glass candle. So this idea that they, they've been watching the world with this glass candle and that's how they, um, they know a lot of things are going on and that you can actually, you know, influence people and go into their dreams which starts you know changing the story like how many people have been have been uh influenced by by in their dreams by somebody with a glass candle or somebody with a werewood or somebody with flames you know they all seem to be providing the same kind of um thing different method to the same end um one thing that they mentioned that in these other versions uh there's a there's a quick uh description of the the middle of the citadel like if you go into the citadel's library they in this the, the chapter describes this the library as the ring of wisdom and that 
um, Sam, uh, or I'm sorry, Pate raises the lantern above his head and over the place where the wooden spokes meet like slices of a great pie hung an ornate oil lamp of gold leaded glass wrought in shapes of in in the shape of the sun and um what's what's funny about that description is it's very much like the description of the citadel in game of thrones you know how when they finally go to the citadel in game of thrones and they have that he he looks in with that big lamp and it's the lamp from the opening sequence. Did Dave and Dan? Did George sh- share his ideas with Dave and Dan on this? And and this is where they got it. That's I don't know. I'm so, so you know that this is the thing is that there's some some speculation here that perhaps like the whatever the video effects design people might have like um, consulted with George. But it's it's strange that like in the middle of a circular a library there's this big sun lamp and that's exactly what we see in in game of thrones so um george george had completed um uh uh, a feast for crows like long before um the game of thrones series now granted like there's not the whole I think when Sam goes into the Citadel library which isn't a big which isn't a big ring and the lamp um has a bunch of like lenses on it and and rings and shit like that so it might just be a coincidence that this that this weird ringy lamp thing is also the sun in the original game of Th- I mean in the Game of Thrones opening but um it's it's a bit it's a bit you know, it's a bit interesting that, like, in the center of this big ring, there's this weird lamp. Um, you know, maybe, maybe there's some sort of, you know, influence to it. Um, oil lamp of gold and leaded glass wrought in the shape of the sun. And, no, uh, you know, might be reading into it too much. I mean, I think the, the thing that we see in Game of Thrones is a, is a lot more intricate. But, nonetheless, that thing is used as a sun flying around the map in the opening sequence. So... Uh, I don't know. Hmm. Um, so in the original prologues, uh, there are many glass candles, not just four. And every, every archmaster has a glass candle. And, um, so Pate is stealing one of the maester's glass candles. Um, and rather than one of his keys to get to a vault or whatever. Um, uh, he, they mentioned that the ring of wisdom, the middle of the library is where, uh, novices are tested on knowledge. Um, or at least that's where they're tested on knowledge of the, of the heavens with, with Archmaster Valen. So maybe that gets more into, yeah, the, you know, the, the weird concentric rings or whatever, um, being tested on the, the, the heavens. Cause that, that's not, that together with the fact that the lamp looks like the big sun make does make it seem like there's a big model of the solar system in the middle of the library, just like in a game of Thrones and just like in game of Thrones series. Um, but um, for, let's see what else. Um, so the unfinished short version is not that different from the one that's published. Um, there's some minor changes to the dialogue at the pub, many more mentions mentionings of the Ring of Wisdom. Um, uh, there's more about Aleros, 
but stuff we kind of knew because it's in the appendix. Alaros claims that uh, Leo claims that Alaros is a Lord's son, but Alaros denies it. Um, and then they kind of say that sphinxes used to exist before the doom of Valyria, which is a kind of interesting concept that, 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 um, and I'm going to get into that, that. So there's a lot of, there's some belief about how much genetic engineering the Valyrians were doing either scientifically or, or, or magically. And, you know, did the, were there half humans, half dragons? Is there dragon DNA in human DNA? Is there human DNA in the dragon's DNA? Like how much splicing went on? And the idea that um, you could have this half, because we know that when we say Sphinx in the world of ice and fire, we don't mean um, woman and eagle. They mean like woman and a dragon. These are half human, half dragons when they say a Sphinx. Um and uh, the Valyrian sphinxes. The um, so this idea that you know maybe there are these half dragon, half humans that existed in Valyria before the Doom, which is kind of weird, weird kind of stuff. But of course, George removed it. Might maybe he thought it was too weird to um, to have that kind of thing. Um, you, you can you can tell this probably was killing him because he really loves to go into this. Like you find a lot of the stuff in the Thousand Worlds uh, novels, don't you? In the stories. Um, about George's like love of genetic engineering yeah. and stuff. Yeah, there's there's a lot of that. So I mean, it's right up George's alley. Like when I hear that, like you know, the idea that the Valyrians might have done all sorts of like crazy genetic engineering with with like monstrous half human half dragons. Like, yeah, that's very George. That's very George. Um. So in this, in one of these, in the the original story. Pate passes out from blood loss because the glass candle is cutting him. <laughs> and he wakes up in some room with the hooded man and then with the, and the glass candle, but then Pate dies again. So, um, so in the, in the rosy version, the, uh, um, which is all from Rosie's perspective, which is weird. Rosie had dreamed of becoming a maester herself but couldn't because she was a because she wasn't a man, and that and that Rosie is in love with with uh, Alaros and thinks he's he's so beautiful, um and like wants to take Alaros to bed, but like which which kind of gets into like <laughs> which is funny because that we did the um you know uh, the the fanfic prologue and how playing around with the with the you know sexual relationships with with Alaros and people being like fooled um in this situation like a woman wanted to have sex with Alaros thinking that her a man and in ours like we had another man who was gay wanting to have sex with Alaros and not realizing that he's a woman um but that we like actually hit upon something like George that George was going to that was playing around with like the, you know. This is a meme you have to continue on into into like if you if you guys go on into Dream of Spring fanfic. Yeah. This is a meme you have to continue with. Yeah. So um, she, uh, but yeah, she calls. But it's very clear through through the the. It's just much more clear that Alaros is Sorella Sand. It, not not that too many people deny that Alaros is Sorella Sand, but it's just much more obvious when like. Rosie is specifically talking about how she wanted to be a maester but couldn't because she was a woman, and then she's in love with Alaros, 
and she's describing how pretty he is and you know they go into the fact that he has a lord's you know lord as a father and, and all sorts of things it's just it's just much clearer that that Alaris is Sorella Sand um uh but it's you know it's just rosy listening to the conversation that Pate and Lazy Leo have and in in the in the and the other acolytes have in the in the um but it's just from her perspective um um let's see anything else that um from now i mean he uh g um g stuff is going to be is going to be posting more stuff from, from some other findings but this was this was a oh that's a big thing um the uh there was a big thing about the fact that the glass candles um grant eternal life that's the huge thing um yeah as long as the flame lasts the man whose life is bound to it cannot die um <clears throat> which is really quite odd cuz um i think in somebody was somebody was mentioning that there there's a passage in in um jamie six a storm of swords where jamie also compares life to candles and he says the flames will burn so long as you live when you when they die so must you so so a glass candle a glass candle has a is made of dragon glass or obsidian and it it has an unflickering like undying flame and so like I joke that, or not not joke, but I theorize that the glass candles are are not are actually made of silicon. That the because silicon and because uh, the story is post apocalyptic, right? Where they, these are futuristic things, you know, whether it's post apocalyptic or not, but these are futuristic things. So, like, how would a person in the Middle Ages describe a long like tech piece? That has a flashlight at the top. They would describe it as like an unflickering, like blinding light or whatever. Um, and so at the top, he says, you know, so here he's saying that that dragon, that the candles are are kind of similar to binding to a, a like a were uh, a werewood or a or even closer to maybe a dragon or a or a direwolf where. If you're bound to the dragon and the flame lasts, you cannot die. Um, and before I was mentioning that the, the glass candles are a clear parallel to the werewood. In fact, the citadel itself is a parallel to the werewood net, where the werewood net is a is a is this network of trees where knowledge is absorbed into the trees and lives forever, and you live forever in, in you know in in the werewood it's the werewood net is heaven too you know like when we die we go to heaven and then you can see everybody you want and you live forever it's it's just heaven right the werewood net is heaven um however george has often written that okay well if you don't believe in the afterlife there are other ways to live forever and that is through like your memory and knowledge and so the citadel in a sense is a, is a parallel because it's a way in which knowledge lives forever uh, in books and research and things like that. Um, um, 
of course the the glass candles make it a little more direct like now where where the werewolves can see around the world the glass candles can see around the world um uh, you know so but then it's like you have eternal life if you're bound to a glass candle that's uh that's very very direct it's not just like a metaphorical your life your 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 life continues on through your knowledge and research it's very literal you don't die as long as you're bound to the glass candle um but yeah the uh but how easy how easy would it be to blow out the flame though because that seems kind of like a shitty deal depending on how easy that would be yeah of course now george george talks about um in in a lot of his writing about you know people living people living forever in computer chips like in and simulated realities i've heard him i've had him write even in his blogs about these sorts of things that like you know that you know let's get on that having people live forever by by downloading our memories into computers this this happens a lot in say uh, night flyers you know where where the roid's mother gets gets her her personality soul like uploaded into a computer crystal um you know there, there might be it might be very similar uh using technology to achieve heaven state versus like you know religion achieving it through through magical means using science to achieve the same thing but uh, but i think i think he was hinting, hinting at all all of these kind of themes but uh he never he never um you know he never committed to it he he seemed to he seemed to not want to do it, and in the end he didn't. So you know how much he can't really be canon. You know none of this can really be canon, but because you know all, we know, for instance, the Archmaesters don't all have glass candles, and it was never introduced that any that you have eternal life if you're bound to a glass candle or any of these sorts of things. I'm surprised you of all people have not never gone to this place yourself and 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 come through this because <laughs> this seems like it would be up your alley, something you'd like to do. Um. It's not that I wouldn't, uh, but it is a lot of boxes and the people that, <laughs> the people that have gone have said they haven't like people go and they spend like days looking for it through boxes and don't find anything new. So I think that's like <clears throat> after reading about, um, Honeybird, uh, trip and I was like, wow, you did all this research and you, you found like, okay, cold hands isn't Benjamin. Like that's, that's, that's a lot. That's a lot of work for for that kind of stuff, but um, well, let's be honest for a minute here. These people who go, they're not they don't have an entire YouTube channel focusing on being analytical on the material. I'm pretty sure the stuff they've gone over that they thought was like whatever, that's probably like a hundred years worth of videos for you. Maybe, yeah, but um, yeah. Anyway, but you know, I I think some of these fans are as are as dedicated as me, so it's um. <laughs> but, we'll, but uh you know they they have i think i think maybe that you know some people have been been um cataloging what boxes are are what but yeah there's 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 i think it, may, it might be 200 boxes you know um but it's it's a lot of stuff to go through there's a, uh, there's a lot of the show props and all sorts of random stuff in there too so show props from game of thrones yeah yeah. Oh, hmm. Mm-hmm. That'd be interesting. See that that's yeah, like a trip stuff. right there. That that that's a whole video right there. Your trip to this place. Yeah, I'm not sure how much you're you're supposed to video or take pictures of. I think maybe people do stuff clandestinely. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what you're allowed to do. do have they? Do they have the pages laminated? Because 
I would hope so. Like everything. No, just... no. I think it's like you just have to be really careful with the papers. It's like any other library. Library, you know. You just have to be really because people have like oils and what on their hands. It's just like mm-hmm. this. Just a okay. Well. Yeah, you know, you're not going to go in with like you know a hoagie, and uh... <laughs> well, no, of course, but like even yeah. like someone's hands, like you know, hands just their their hands. They they have like oils and stuff and all that, and that yeah, can fuck yeah. up the pages. And okay, well. Um, hopefully, hopefully we get some, some more inklings of these, of these storylines and Winds of Winter, whenever that comes out, but, uh, apparently there's uh, an update to that. Um, yeah, now you were, you were telling, this is something you were telling me about, um, that, 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 uh, Elio and Linda, uh, did some chatting with George R. R. Martin recently. Apparently. And did, some, a, tweet, and did some tweets. Yeah. So they know the book they're releasing. Um, what's it called? Rise of the yes. Dragon. It's the summary thing. Yeah, George throwing them a bone. The, the book looks great. I, I'll be the first to pirate it. Um, but I will say, <laughs> I will say, uh, we got some updates on the Westeros.org Twitter. And, uh, apparently they did a live stream, which I can't really find right now. I don't know where people are seeing this, but, um, they asked George how far along he is. And George said he's, <laughs> George says that Winds of Winter will be the longest in the series, and he thinks he's three-fourths of the way done, but can't predict when done. And he recently reread some of the chapters he already did and decided that they need to be rewritten, uh, but he's working on it. So, okay, not really three-fourths um, of the way. If he has to go back and like, rewrite something. Now, now when, when you told me three-fourths of the way, uh, I was like, I was like, wow. I can't believe I was like, and, and again, like George being like somewhat, somewhat exaggerating and then also saying that he needs to go back and like rewrite some chapters. Like I gave the two thirds figure, like when, when was that, when was my video on the, on the, um, that was what, the, a year ago? The, um, let me see. I don't know if it was a year ago, but I think it was a year ago. Let homie. me see. Here. It feels like a year ago. Um, let me see. I pu- I published this no in June, this past June. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Oh. Okay. That, wow. It feels like a year ago. So it's yeah. I know. So in June, I published the the pessimist history, which somehow I po- I po- I posted that video not thinking it would be anything, and it's it's gotten so many views. I don't like. Did you put a Did you put a red arrow and circle on it? Because that helps. <laughs> no. No. I I don't I don't know what it is, but it's like one of my most successful videos, and um, the uh, he uh, in that which essentially you know a, a too long didn't watch is uh, of that video is um, George had about a third of the book left over from dance um he didn't write anything until covid and during covid he wrote an additional third was my was my um was my claim um in that with, with a few with a few uh you know maybe a few couple hundred you know slowly written here and there um but you know two-thirds is 67 percent three-fourths is 75 percent uh, I think it's, you know, I think I'm being, and you know, plus George is maybe exaggerating a little and saying that he wants to go back, but I, I, I think that weirdly I, I hit the number, <laughs> like I hit it, not to toot my own horn, but I hit it. I hit the, like, cause a lot of people are like, oh, he's nearly done. He's nearly done. I'm like, no, he's not. And then a lot of people are like, no, he hasn't written a thing. I was like, ah, no, 
So I, I hit the number. <laughs> Apparently, wins will be more than 1,500 pages. So mm. I'm wondering if they're going to yeah. be able to split that like they did. Because uh, remember, uh, wasn't Feast and Dance originally one giant thing and then he split that? Um, I think that uh, what will happen is that the editors will have him cut a few chapters and move them to dream of spring that kind of stuff the same yeah same thing kind of thing how is that even possible Um, to move it to dream of spring because because then all this all the stuff he planned to write for dream of spring that'll be another you i mean it might it might as well just be into a into an abyss because like move it to a dream of spring it's gone (laughs) like like well, no, that and, um, and and you move it to Dream of Spring, and then Dream of Spring is going to be another fifteen hundred pages, and you move that to what? What was the last final book that may be? Because uh, he, he said he wants to do seven, which okay, but yeah, is there going to be enough space in that in the Dream of Spring? Because then they might have to do an no, eighth book, A no, Time of Wolves. No, 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 no. Right, exactly. But you know, there's we all we all kind of know that. There's not a, there's no way George can wrap it up in two books. I'm not saying a writer couldn't wrap it up in two books. I'm saying George can't wrap it up in two books. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, he's not, he, 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 he hasn't even, he hasn't even gotten on to phase two of his plan. Like his plan from the beginning was War of the Five Kings, Danny's Invasion, Others Invasion. Like there's, there's three stages to the story. And he hasn't even gotten to stage two yet of, like, his story in his mind. That Others invasion, uh, the, the White Walker invasion, that's going to have to wait because that's the one thing he's having the most issue with. Uh, according to Elio and Linda, Bran is still tough to write because of the supernatural and sorcerous matter. And he's struggling with these chapters for the Winds of Winter. So what was the one that people thought he was originally struggling with? Marine? Uh well back in the Dance of Dragons he was struggling with Marine because of 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 um uh, simultaneous events happening and in this people he said he was struggling earlier he said he was struggling with Cersei and um everybody's like oh well that makes sense because there's simultaneous events happening with like John Con coming in and you know it's it it seems to be tough for George to to coordinate simultaneous chapters where a lot of different events are, are happening at once and how people should re- be reacting. Um, and so with, with a dance of dragons, he, he ended up, you know, he claims he, he wrote and rewrote a whole bunch of chapters uh, where, you know, Quentin Martell arrives, you know, after Danny flies off from the, from the dragon pit, Quentin Martell arrives much earlier. Victarion arrives at a certain time. Tyrion arrives at a certain time. Like all, like when these characters are arriving, because you have the, the three characters of, of, of Tyrion, Tyrion, Victarion, and Quentin all coming to Slaver's Bay in a race to, to, to meet Danny. Um, uh, you know, he was having trouble like timing it all. And then the way he fixed the Miranese knot, is by inventing the Barristan point of view. Um, he never planned on having a Barristan point of view, but you know, he he had to get rid of Danny, and he needed somebody else to pick up from from where she left off. So she, Barristan was invented. The other um, uh, minor thing that he uh, that he touched on real quick is uh, uh, in regards to he revealed that his his preferred starting point for House of the Dragon would have been about the heir and the spare. Showing both the love and rivalry of Jaehaerys' son Aemon and Balon. 
Mm. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, uh, that gets into that gets more into like why, like immediately why, um, uh, like, um, Rainis might have been passed over the first time for Balon and and you know reasoning for that. Um, which you know eventually leads into everything um but um but back on bran i could i think it completely makes sense that bran would be the thing tripping him up bran has to be the most difficult chapter to write it has to be just because you're dealing with time travel elements and the time travel stuff that bran is dealing with it's so like having done the time traveling brand series and now like really understanding like I like what George is trying to do with time travel, which I, and I do think he's trying to do Groundhog's Day in a sense. Um, like how how complicated that is. Um, if 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 a three eyed crow, if previous versions of Bran have been through this a million times, and now this version of Bran has to go forward. Um, there's a lot of very confusing elements to the story because time traveling, time travel always, once you think about it, like ties your mind up in nuts in, in knots because it doesn't, it doesn't make time travel never makes sense because it can't, it's a paradox, you know? So, um, but George, you know, George is going to try, you know, that's what the story needed was time travel. And uh, is that all from the, uh, the Reddit piece as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I went into the Reddit piece pretty well, pretty, pretty detailed. Um, and hopefully, we'll we'll see see more from uh, G Steph's great research. So this is ongoing. Props. Um, yeah, and I'll 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 leave a link to G Steph's um original Reddit post about it because uh you know um it's a. Uh, it's just you know exemplary exemplary research and work being done. So that's a that's definitely a, a a trip you should plan once you're back in the states to to go visit this. Yeah, I mean I'll see about you know getting access and things like that and fly, flying down there. So it seems like a lot of work and and you know it's like a shot in the dark whether you're going to find anything interesting. So so Preston, we have the sequel to that Reddit post last time where someone went to the mm. uh, Cushing Library in Texas and they found some old George R. R. Martin notes and ideas and drafts about what the story could have been. And someone hit me up with it and they sent it to me and I'm like, oh, this sounds juicy as hell because there was a – at one point in time, Victorian Greyjoy was going to die. So I had to bring it to you. You read the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. What's going I on? I did. I did. Um, well, first off, again, just props to you know, G. Steph who did this, who, who did this research. Um, you know, this this is the most new, interesting stuff we have about the story that we've gotten in years, and and it couldn't have happened without like just painstaking work. So, really, just props. But um, the uh, yeah, let's get into some of the interesting stuff here. So, um, so G. Steph found. What what G Stuff was looking at was um, an early draft of a feast for crows. And when you when we talk about an early draft for a feast for crows, what we mean is um, the draft before it got split into a feast for crows and it get dense with dragons. And it was still a singular book. And there, you know there there's there's a couple in the writing process. You have to remember that first, like George R. R. Martin believed that he was going to have a five year gap. And then, and then he believed it was, then he abandoned that, but he still thought it was going to be one book. And then, then he abandoned that and split the books up. 
Um, and so uh, it's interesting because some chapters from A Dance with Dragons that, you know, we didn't read for years. George had actually wrote, written, you know, years before because he had he'd done it for A Feast for Crows. And then, um, you know, but then a lot of changes can happen to it and stuff like that. So, so even this, even, so some of these chapters are very old, but, but some of them deal with like Jamie's adventures, um, or Victorian and slavers, you know, arriving in slavers Bay and, 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 um, well, actually his plans for Victorian arriving in slavers Bay, but, um, Daenerys, uh, as well, like what was going on with Daenerys. And, um, that's the, the major stuff has to deal with, with, uh, what G stuff found here and this entry has to do with the Daenerys chapters, uh, some Jamie stuff and the Victorian chapters. Um, and it's, 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 yeah. uh, before we started, you said, uh, there was something juicy involving John. Yes. Yes. So it, it, it involves Danny. Um, so again, like we, we, you know, so Daenerys is a very, it, there's, there was a big interesting evolution of, the Daenerys chapters uh, in a dance with dragons, they, they were changed quite a bit, quite a bit because, you know, you had, you had the five-year gap abandonment. You had this, the, the story split, the book split, and then you had the Miranese knot eventually coming in and all of these things like reshaped the Daenerys story. And it was rewritten many times. Um, Jesus. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, and, you know, I, I have mixed feelings about, the Daenerys story from A Dance with Dragons. Many people's it's their least favorite um, part of the book, but I will say that there is um, a lot of interesting consistency and a lot of Easter eggs going from one chapter to the next that you don't necessarily see in all um, uh, point of views. It's not like when you read Tyrion Seven, you're, you're harking back to Tyrion Two. You know, while with Daenerys, you are. Um, the, the the only other chapters that are kind of that are kind of comparable in those sorts of Easter eggs going back to previous chapters would probably be John and Theon, where where you know something that happens in in, in the first or second chapter is is being brought up, you know the, these tiny details, and so there's all these little details in the background of the Daenerys story um, in A Dance with Dragons that are very interesting. You can you can tell whole stories based on other characters um, going on. Uh, in the background. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the Daenerys story like came out well, but it's, it, 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 George definitely worked hard on it and there's a lot of detail to it. Um, and a lot of changes went to it, you know, went, and so, um, what G stuff kind of discovered here, uh, researching an early draft of, of Danny is we, we, we kind of knew that, the from from previous um interviews and reports and stuff that we kind of knew that before the five year gap was abandoned um the the reopening of the fighting pits happened very early in Daenerys's story if not like Daenerys 2 I think was when it was supposed to happen rather than Daenerys uh what is it 12 or is it Daenerys you know it's way way it's the the second to last chapter, right, for for Daenerys um, in A Dance with Dragons, and so um, the uh, it was a, so many people thought, okay, well, the previous belief was okay. I guess she was picked up by by Drogon and and exited really early, and the five year like 
And because the five-year gap was abandoned, this entire story had to kind of establish like what Danny was doing and ruling Marine rather than it happening off page with the five-year gap. Um, but that's what, what G stuff discovered is that not, that's not actually the case is that the, the, uh, the pits were opened in the old story, but she wasn't carried off by Drogon. Oh, she, she, she flew around with him. Drogon picked her up with his, with his talons, which is claws flew around. And then she was back in the city ruling. Um, and it's so the, the fighting pits were opened, but she didn't actually leave yet, which, which kind of shifts everyone's uh, like super fans, like ideas of, of what George was writing. And now keep in mind, George abandoned all of this. So like, you know, even he got, you know, even he got stuck on what he thought Daenerys should be doing and started over. So, you know, wait, so he just picks her up and they fly around the city for, for what's the reason for that? Just a show of power? I guess. Or like the idea is that she's now bonding with the dragon and that she's now becoming like a dragon queen and like how that affects people's like mindset that she's like bound to this dragon. Like, and she actually describes in her, in her monologue, like that, um, well, actually even talking to somebody that she is now like she and her dragon are now one. Um, so it's definitely like, you know, more of that, you know, how we were talking about with House of the Dragon, like, like Damon being hit and the dragon feeling the pain and that kind of stuff. There was definitely more of that like discussion. Now, what's really interesting and, and, um, <laughs> so when I, this, and this is some, something that, it, uh, is that the follow up chapter to the, the fighting pits used to be Daenerys three, which is when Zaro comes from Karth and um, talks to Danny, you know, and it's this random scene where they're having a dinner and there's like naked dancers. Um, Daenerys three and is one of my least favorite chapters in A Dance with Dragons, and it's not that it's poorly written, but it has nothing to do with the other chapters. It really like it sticks out like a sore thumb if you read the Daenerys story. Like, there's all these little references. Is that yeah. the one where he doesn't look at her breasts? He doesn't take a peek? Yeah, he doesn't look at his breasts, her breasts, but he's instead looking at, like, naked dancers. And, you know, she pisses off Karth. Like, Karth, like, offers her some ships. And she pisses off Karth. And the Karth decides to join the war against, or, you know, decides to blockade um, Slaver's Bay. Um, it's, the events aren't that important because... Anyone could have done that blockade. It didn't need to be Karth. It doesn't really even make sense that it's Karth because Karth is really far away. They don't even send many ships, which kind of contradicts like a Clash of Kings where Karth has hundreds and hundreds of ships, you know, and all of a sudden they send like, you know, a handful to do a blockade. It's, it's, um, it, plus like there's just no references like to all of the little Sons of the Harpy activity that is that is sprinkled in all the rest of the chapters. Um, it's it's my least favorite of the of the of the Daenerys chapters. Um, but what's what's interesting is that it's one of the oldest. You know that that it was reworked. That that George took paragraphs and chopped them around and stuff like this and changed the plot around. And the reason that Daenerys three sticks out as this chapter that doesn't do anything and is kind of irrelevant. Like if if I were to cut a single chapter from a dance with dragons, I might make it 
Daenerys three. Like, there's just no point to it. Like, it doesn't need to be there. Well, John John two is also horrible because um, that's the one that doubles from the Sam the Samwell chapter. Um, but well, you you say that, yeah. but but Daenerys three, if, if if it mostly spends time with her and 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 Zaro, mm-hmm. and she pisses off the she pisses off Karth. You firmly believe that she's going to go back to Karth at some point. So this wouldn't that make more sense? Wouldn't that harken back to to this chapter I, eventually? I guess, hopefully. But, I mean, I think it's more important that Daenerys goes back to Karth to talk to Quaithe, not that she talks to Zaro. Like, her talk, her meeting Zaro again isn't really very important, to, you know, uh, in the grand scheme of things. Um, I mean, Zaro is a fine character. I like his character. I like the character. The, you know, and his character shines in that, in that, in that chapter, but the chapters are relevant. It just, it just doesn't, it doesn't add anything really to the story. Um, so it's really interesting that, it, that it's like this older chapter that was there. Um, um, and, and like completely reworked. So, but yeah, the, the, there's some, there's definitely some like lines that were there. Cause she's, t- I think she's t- telling Zaro about her dragon bond and she's like, I'm the blood of a drag, the blood of the dragon. I have no fear of Drogon. Um, you know, and things like this, uh, you know, my, she, she like innately, like, um, she, she explicitly like tells what Drogon was doing. She says like, my life was in peril. Drogon must've sensed it. And that's why he returned and, and attacked everyone like stuff like this. Like she's explicitly t- like telling people about her dragon bond and why Drogon came back and like why he was killing people. Um, that it was some sort of like, you know, mental link with her so it's um yeah that that's it, it's stuff that like it's george improved on things by making it a little making it more subtle on what was going on or making things a mystery so um but yeah so, but zaro yeah so that that was there oh some other interesting things about the 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 fighting pit scene so the fighting pit scene happens and the locusts are there and strong Belwas still loves the locusts and chows down on the bowl. However, the locusts aren't poisoned. <laughs> There's mm. no reference to the, lo- the locusts being poisoned. No one offers Danny any locusts like in the, in the later in the chapters after it, Belwas is not poisoned. So it's, it's really quite funny that like the locusts were there and only like because George went back and started reading stuff and was like, "Oh, maybe I could make these locusts poisoned." Does he add it in? Also, in the original draft, most of the lines of Hisdar are given to Resnak. That Hisdar is like just less of a character, and Resnak is more of a character. And when George rewrote, he he just transferred the lines of Resnak to Hisdar to make Hisdar a bigger character. But yeah, it's um. Kind of funny that the poisoned locust thing, like he had the locust there and he had strong Belwas loving locusts and then he just like, but there was no poison originally and he just like added that later later on. So that was kind of funny. Didn't we have this conversation last time about like, you, you don't believe Danny was poisoned and that strong Belwas just, I guess the locust didn't agree with his stomach? <sighs> I mean, you're you're kind of right that like, that knowing that originally there was no poison and he just had the scene of of <clears throat> strong bell chowing down on locusts 
Um, and then he kind of retroactively needs to throw poison in there. But at the same time, he doesn't want to kill. He doesn't want to kill Strong Belwas. Um, it does make me rethink uh, my Locus of Marines series, just because I don't know if George like really thought through the logic of the scene. You know, like I, you know, because he he already had he already had written the scene, um, at, of of events that needed to happen, and then he like retroactively throws poison in there, and so it's like. It's like going and looking at the details of, say, like how much, how many locusts somebody eats is like not something that's really relevant, considering it was like a fully written scene before the poison was even added. Um, but yeah, it's kind of kind of interesting in that that's uh, in that sense. Um, but uh, the other thing, um, the other thing that was kind of interesting is. Uh, so you know how in a Dance with Dragons, Hisdar has a, has a trial of um, he has to achieve peace for ninety days, and if he achieves peace for ninety days, he gets to marry Danny. Uh, originally, Hisdar was going to be given three trials. Um, he had to achieve peace for twenty days. He had to achieve peace at sea, and then she reserved a third one that she hadn't decided on giving him that was going to be near impossible. And Missandei is like, so you don't actually want to wed him? Because she's like, maybe maybe it's going to be like, I'll have him fly a dragon or something like that. Or something. And, and Missandei is like, oh, so you don't really want to marry him? And he's like, no, no. If, if, if he like achieves it, I'll marry him. But like, you know, it's going to be hard. And so there's no hint. Like George never gets to the point where a third trial is ever created or, you know, maybe he, maybe he didn't know. And that's one of the reasons he, he like abandoned it, but he originally was going to have more trials for, for his star to get through in order to marry Danny. Well, the, the trials seemed like they would have added more chapters to this already because yes, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, they would. Yeah. <laughs> would have, would have, would have made this a bit longer. <laughs> um, and then there's a small, there's a very small, House with the Red Door, Lemon Gate change that's in there. Um, oh. It's very, very, very small. So in the original text, um, there's a line in Danny's story that says, in Bravos, there had been a, there had been a house with a red door, but that was all. And the line originally was, in Bravos, there had been a house with a red door, but only for a little while. It's a very, very slight change to change, but only for a little while. But only for a little while, too. But that was all, you know. Like, and it, it's hard to say what's going on there. G. Steps thinks like it's a it's a shift to a tad more ambiguity. But it, it you know, um, and and that that's the whole you know George was trying to add a little just a little bit more mystery to uh, to the house with the red door. But both lines are kind of weird. Like in Bravos, there had been a house with a red door, but only for a little while. So she you could take Bravos. that in so many ways. Like, did, yeah, yeah. Did she live in Bravos just for a little bit, or maybe she lived in Bravos but longer? They moved from house to house, or yeah, or, or did they change the door? Like, there's you could take that so many ways. Yeah, I know. And changing it to, but in Bravos there would been a house with a red door, but that was all. Like, both lines are pretty weird and ambiguous, right? Yeah. In general, though, uh, what G. Steph noticed is that you know George George likes to 
go back and make his writing more concise. And most of the writing are like, you know, making, making writing more concise, smaller, um, taking up less, less page, less space on a page. Um, and then, that um, must suck for George because you can tell he wants to like expand this, but the story has gotten away from him. Yeah. Like it really has to the point where he has to split it into books and all that. And like you said it years ago and it's still relevant now. There's no way he could finish it in just two books with, and even with this, there's, yeah. Yeah. But there's also just like weird ways to like reshape sentences in order to like cut out the number of words and stuff like that. You know, like, you know, pr- proving worthy he drew the sword from the stone is a lot shorter than, than, you know, he he approached the he approached the stone and and pulled out the sword and in doing so showed himself to all that he was worthy like you know that's like you 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 can take long sentences like that and shorten them and and I, George does that a lot to to, to try to um uh to try to fit everything you know <laughs> fit everything in um so oh there's there's one other thing so there is a um there is a uh, mental sex scene that Danny has where she has sex with his dar, but he's kind of like an other and his like penis is made of ice. Do you remember that? Kind of, but it, it, it's been so long. Um, I, the original is uh, beneath her coverlet, coverlets. She tossed and turned dreaming of his dar, dreaming that his dar was kissing her, but his lips were blue and bruised. And then he thrust himself inside her. His manhood was as cold as ice. She sat up with her hair disheveled and her bedclothes a tangle. Now, most people read this and they think, oh, gosh, like Danny's having a nightmare about the others. Like who would have like a penis like that's like ice, Um, uh, which, you know, obviously that's supposed to be one of the many ways to take it. But the original... The original um, uh, version actually has a little bit more um, because some some people also think like, okay, maybe it's not his dar. Maybe the person is with the blue, the blue lips is really like Euron and maybe she's having like a nightmare about him. Um, But I think the in the original version that and G stuff points this out and I agree, it's it's actually more clear that the person is John. Like, and, um, I know cause John is dead. And so he's going to be cold. His lips are going to be cold as ice. Cause he's like dies, you know? And then, um, and the thrust inside her is, is rather than it being just as penis, cause dicks are swords and swords are dicks. It's John killing her at the end. Right. Like what we saw in, at the end of, um, game of Thrones. So in the original, in the original version, it's not, his Dar kissing her, it's Dario. So Dario is kissing her, his lips blue and bruised. He thrust inside her, his manhood was cold as ice. She sat up, and then uh, my queen said a voice in the darkness. Danny flinched, imagining pale skin, blue lips, a twisted blade. Who's there? So, like, in this situation, like, he's being a little more explicit that the dick is a sword, right? Um, by, so by he mentions the dick and he mentions the sword before he just mentions the dick and like you know it's so here like oh maybe she wasn't actually getting stabbed by a dick she was getting stabbed by a sword now all of a sudden the scene seems a lot more like the ending of a game of thrones i mean the ending of game of thrones the series you know like her getting stabbed by john a person who's 
cold and dead with blue and bruised lips, you know, and stuff like that. So um, rather than her actually being, you know, having sex with an ice penis. So Daenerys Seven, she's she's having sex with Daria in the morning. Um, she gets married to 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 his Dar, and she has sex with him at the end. She she gets married and has sex with him at the end. But somehow, somewhere in the middle, she has a dream about um, the about about having sex with his Dar. Um, and in the original, it was Dario because apparently, like, I mean, it doesn't matter if it's Dario or his Dar because they're the they're the um, the 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 red herring like because it's really about somebody else it's really supposed to you're supposed to be thinking about the others but the the true answer of who it is is it's probably john and i've heard theories that it was john like um but this this i would say like there being a twisted blade um in the original version kind of kind of confirms for me that yeah no he like this was that was definitely the 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 reference you know that that she was really dreaming of John killing her in that, in that, um, in that chapter. Um, let's see what else the, uh, Oh, right. So, um, some people have noticed this cause there, there, there are previous readings of, of George's, um, of George's chapters from years ago, I think a 2005 reading. So a lot of people had like noticed there's in an early version, there's, Rather than <clears throat> when when Quaith lists the um, people coming to meet Danny, she says uh, in in uh, in a Dance of Dragons that the people coming are Crow and Crow and Kraken, Lion and Griffin, the sons the son of the sun and the Mummer's Dragon. Remember the Undying, beware the perfume Seneschal. Yeah, um, in the original version, it was. Kraken and Dark Flame. Uh, I'm sorry. It, it was. I'm sorry. I, I said it backwards. I'm sorry. Confusing everybody. Originally, it uh, in the published version, it's Kraken and Dark Flame, Lion and Griffin, the Sun's Son, and the Mummer's Dragon. The original, it's Crow and Kraken, Lion and Griffin, the Son of the Sun, and the Mummer's Dragon. Um. So the big thing being Kraken and Dark Flame being changed for Crow and Kraken. And there's a there's a reason for this, and that and that is, and G. Steph really finds it is some people theorize like, oh, Crow and Kraken, did that refer to Euron and Victarion heading, in, instead of Kraken and Dark Flame, which is Victarion and Makoro, you know? So Crow and Kraken, why would Euron be coming to Slaver's Bay? And it, apparently, this was the original version. So, um, in what G-Stuff found is that originally Euron doesn't leave Victarion behind, like doesn't stay behind in Westeros and send Victarion off. The two of them go together to Slaver's Bay. Um, and Euron is along for the trip. And this is why the original version said Crow and Kraken. Euron was really heading to Slaver's Bay. Now, this is what's kind of crazy. Okay. Because what G-Stuff found is not only was Euron and Victarion heading to Slaver's Bay, um, Victarion was supposed to die. And he finds this in one of the place, the chapter placeholders of a chapter that's supposed to come in the future. George lists a Victarion chapter and puts parentheses, Victarion dies. Uh, now, 
some people might think, okay, well, this is kind of weird. Like, if Victarion dies, who's the point of view to view all of the events of Euron? And the answer is Aaron, because Aaron is the stowaway aboard the is is like captive aboard the ship. That Victarion would die, and Aaron would take over as the point of view to view Euron. Now, you may think like, wow, oh, yeah. okay. Now, what I think is most interesting about the fact that Euron that that Victarion dies is that Danny has a vision in the House of the Undying of a guy of a guy with with gray lips smiling sadly on the prow of a ship. And this vision clearly comes true in the Victarian sample chapter. And it's Victarian, like clearly. Um however, it's very clear that like originally George meant that vision to be Euron, but then Euron isn't coming to Slaver's Bay, so he switched it to Victarian. That he could take that that George purposely switched like what some of the what one of the visions of the House of the Undying was that his original plan was it was supposed to be Euron and he changed it to Victarian. So I think that's pretty. Well, I wonder why he made the change. Like maybe because Danny's vision in the House of the Undying and George needed Victarion to be that guy, or. Maybe because he has has bigger plans for Euron in Old Town. No, no, I think I think I think he didn't kill off Victarion because, as he wrote Victarion, Victarion just became an awesome character, <laughs> you know, and like it became an awesome story. <laughs> I think that's more it. Um, you know, he definitely had his. He de- you know, this was de- he just changed his mind because because Victorian as you as you go through Victorian the Victorian story just gets better and better and I can imagine George being on a roll being like oh crap like I really I, I really like this <laughs> like you know and like not wanting to kill off Victorian anymore but it's uh so so originally Euron wasn't going to go raid the the reach he was going to go to Marine and try to court Danny so the Reaver chapter still happens so the Reaver chapter, which was originally entitled "The the the King's Brother," is a is a chapter that was fully written, um, and so and that that chapter, which was written very early, has very few changes to it. So the Ironborn chapters of A Feast for Crows are the earliest written chapters um, of of the story, and they they go through. Whatever George did, like he went to the editors and did everything and 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 cleaned them up, they're they're pretty much like from verbatim um, the same um, up to the Reaver, you know. And then the stuff that happens after that, like the the Dance with Dragons Victorian chapters, haven't been written yet. But like all the all the Feast for Crows chapters were pretty much the same. So like so. The 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 raiding of the of the of the Shield Islands and going up the Mander that was definitely a real thing that 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 was part of the plan, but then Euron was gonna fuck off to Slaver's Bay, like and and essentially abandon the Ironborn, you know all the other Ironborn to like get killed, and he would just come back with dragons or something, you know was was his plan, so I you know I don't know what the point of the reaving was you know to to give, I guess the the point was to get elected or something, and then go. 
and then leave, you know, and the reaving was what he promised everybody. So he had to give it to them, I guess. Um, well, I would assume he would go raid the reach and get all this bounty, all this boon, and then go sail to Marine and offer her lavish gifts from Westeros because besides ships, what else can he really offer her? Right. Right. I mean, I suppose he could steal some wealth or something, some plunder right before he goes. Um, but it's, uh, but yeah, no, Victorian was supposed to die. Euron was supposed to go to Slaver's Bay. Aaron was supposed to go to Slaver's Bay. Um, Euron was clearly the, the, the house of the undying vision, but it got changed to Victorian. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty, okay, so, pretty so, interesting. So, Danny, Dan, Danny's has changed around. Victarion is almost non-existent after a while. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So. And then there's Jamie chapters. Um, now, what's kind of funny is that, uh, so Jamie chapters, uh, there was a plot in the Jamie story that was completely abandoned. And that was Kevin Lannister. Hmm went missing. <laughs> and, and was he last seen a horse? What happened? It it he just like like throughout the kept throughout the um throughout the Jamie story, for some reason like characters are mentioning like, oh have you seen have you seen my uncle? And everybody's like, no, I haven't seen him lately. Wasn't he isn't he at Derry? No, I didn't see him at Derry. Uh oh okay. Like just like and then it just kind of goes on like this, right? And all of that kind of was was cut. It's very weird. Um, there there is some explanation. Well, there is kind of an explanation, and that is the 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 Jamie story and the Brienne story seem to have been more separated, and that um, it may have been that Kevin was the hostage that the Brotherhood without Batters had, rather than Brienne. There are some weird. <clears throat> Some weird things like when when Jamie arrives at um, at Castle Derry, there's there's like a line like of his uncle Kevin. He saw no sign, nor of Lancel. Only a maester emerged to greet him, you know, and you're like and there's there's a bunch of like random mentioning like like he says, oh, um, well, I find my uncle here. And they're like, no, my lord, Sir Kevin took leave of us after the wedding, you know, like like. Like Jamie Four is filled with all of these mentions of of Kevin, that and he actually asks like in, in Jamie Five like he arrives somewhere and he's like oh have you seen Sir Kevin Aye, he passed away here heading west like there's this there's this whole there's all these mentions of like where's Kevin that have nothing to do with the story they have nothing to do with the story right like um and and they're all just this relic of of the fact that there was a there was a Kevin gets gets um kidnapped by the brotherhood without banners and uh and that went away you know that that was just kind of eventually some a plot that that George cut um does now, it mention that the brotherhood is still led by lady stoneheart at this point or yes, no yes. stoneheart all all that's there so oh, lady okay. stoneheart stoneheart's there but the interesting thing about the Jamie plot as well as so there is a very small very obscure theory that um so there's this one sex worker that jamie runs into when he goes to um treat b12 
between like where he goes to negotiate between the, the Brackens and the Blackwits. Um, and keep in mind that J- Jamie won a dance with dragons was written very early. And so it's, it's kind of funny that like George had finished that chapter for the only, the only Jamie chapter in a dance with dragons. He'd finished that chapter like back in 2004, you know, way early before, like before most of a feast for crows was even written. He had, he had finished like the Jamie story. Um, and then he later he decided to like cut that chapter from a feast for crows and pop it into a dance with dragons. So Jamie, Jamie goes to, you know, uh, you know, he's at Penny Tree and the, the situation between the Blackwoods and the Brackens. And he walks in to Titus Blackwood's um, room. And there is he's uh, he's with a, a sex worker named Hildy. And it's, you know, Hildy gets a lot is named and gets a lot of attention. So it's a little suspicious, but she's just she's just a random character. Right. And so there's a random theory that like. Wait a minute. How did the Brotherhood Without Banners know where Jamie was? Like at the end of the story, when Brienne shows up, how did she find Jamie? You know, and it doesn't quite make sense. Like the 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 Brackens are on his side, so they wouldn't be like squeal uh, squealing to the Brotherhood, and the Blackwoods were under siege, so they couldn't. So who could possibly tip off the Brotherhood Without Banners? onto Jamie's location so that Brienne could show up to meet him. And, and so this, the theory was, well, Hildy is an agent for the brotherhood without banners. It's a very small, obscure, obscure theory that, um, that existed. And, um, you know, one of those theories where you're like, okay, I guess so. Like no one has any horse in the race. No one has any dog in the fight. So everybody's just like, okay. But like, uh, it turns out this obscure theory about Hildy being a, a Brotherhood Without Banners plant is completely true. Because in the original story, Brienne doesn't show up to to tell Jamie that she that they have that, that he has to come with her. It's Hildy. Wait, what? Yeah. That the entire ending of the story is not Brienne, but Hildy. Okay, so let's <laughs> unpack here. I Yeah. As as cool as it would have been for for Kevin to have been kidnapped by the Brotherhood Without Banners, I still we went through this last time with the uh, the Dance of Dragon chapters. I still like him being uh, killed by Varys at the very end oh, better. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But it is true now that now that like you if like because I I went back once once I read about like the relics of like Kevin in 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 a Feast for Crows, I was like really. And then I looked through the Jamie chapters, I was like, oh my god, he talks about Kevin. Just a whole bunch, like just an unnecessary amount of time is spent like talking about Kevin and Kevin's location, considering that like he plays no role until the epilogue, right? Like, you know, <laughs> like he's kind of at the beginning in, 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 in King's Landing where he talks to Cersei and she asks him to, to come and be hand and he's like, no. And then he vanishes and you don't really, he's not part of the story. And then he's, then he's in the epilogue, right? And, um, yeah, it's just, it's just, he was, he was, apparently there was like an original kidnapping plot that he was going to be like the reason that Jamie needed to, to like go meet the, the brotherhood or something, you know? Um, so it's kind of, kind of funny, kind of funny. Okay. But, mm, so what does Brienne do? So, so does she still run into the brotherhood or no? Well, that's the, that's the funny thing is, is. 
it's hard to say. It's hard to say like when he abandons these plots and when he when he decides to do changes. What I can say is that the Brienne plot is one of the one of the tightest, um, most well written uh, stories that he has. So it's really amazing to think that that she wouldn't be running into the Brotherhood. You know, so maybe that like they both would have separate Brotherhood plots. You know. Um, then again, there are two ba- there there are two factions of the Brotherhood without banners, so that might be an issue too, you know. So there's the Lady Stoneheart faction, but then there's the uh, the, the Beric Dondarrion faction still exists. Um, so, you know. So, well, what about the Bard, who's like a, a Brotherhood without banners agent, who who's there, like kind of spying on on Jamie and what the Lannisters are doing? Like, is that still in there? No, 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 no. The Thomas Seven stuff is still there, but. Like all the Thomas Seven stuff is is still there. Thomas Sevens is still, and you know it, it, it's it's um, Jamie when he goes to River Runs talks about how the sex workers seem to be infiltrating the camp and things like this, and no one's taking them seriously, and there's not much security going around. So it's not that um, you know a reader should know that every sex worker is potentially a a Brotherhood Without Banners plant, um, but. So, so like the Hildy theory makes complete sense. It's just one, of, but it's also like one of those small things. Like, how did the Brotherhood know where Jamie was? Well, that's also a small enough issue that it's also something that an author could could just not think about, and it being an oversight. You know, like uh, it could be a small plot hole. Like it's you know, it's something that no one thinks about. But but it does, it turns out it's not a plot hole that like Hildy really was a Brotherhood plant, and that she tipped off the Brotherhood. On where he was. Okay, so are there any more? So we have Danny, Victorian, Jamie. Yeah, the Danny, the Danny stuff, the Victorian stuff, and the and the Jamie stuff are the big, the big, the big changes. Yeah. Well, is, is there going to be any more to this? Because w- w- what's going on? I, I know we just, I know we did part one a while ago. This is part two. Is there going to be a part three? And is part three going to be bigger? W- what's going on with the progress of these? What G. Steph says is because. Um, there, there was something said. Let's see. Um, uh, I think it's... Next time I'll be covering the remaining point of views for which I found substantial differences in the Cushing drafts, including perhaps my biggest discoveries. Stay tuned for Cersei, Tyrion, and John. Okay, cool. Very nice. And of course, shout out to G stuff, by the way, for, for going there and, and doing this. I said this last time, uh, how I was amazed that people are just allowed to go in here and, and check out George's stuff. Some dipshit in the comments was like, well, Carmine, that's how a library works. Yes, I know that, you idiot. It's just, like, I'm surprised that George's previous personal private, like, writings are available to the public because you always have people coming in with, like, sticky, dirty fingers and whatnot. And, like, I don't know, personally, if I was a writer and I was, you know, had some, some stuff that I didn't use before, I would, I would keep that under lock and key. And I feel like a lot of writers would as well. But, uh, no, props to George for uh, uh, making this available to the public so people can go and see it. Yeah, it's, it's really, it's really, it, it's just really fun, like, going through and what, what could have been, what might have been. Um, you know, and, and seeing when, when George takes something obvious and makes it more subtle and, and stuff like that. So it's, it's, uh, it's fun. It's fun to go through it. Uh, I do have two questions for you before we wrap Mm. it up. The first question is, does this change any theories you've already, you've already done going forward? Um, 
I guess it it does in the sense that like the ending of of Game of Thrones really does seem like it was George's original plan. I'm not saying it's George's plan now, um, but it really does seem like Game of Thrones was hitting the major plot points of the of the book, and and you know John killing Danny. It was was some is something that totally was going to happen, you know, and 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 that that was a plot point. And like the more the more you kind of go through stuff, and you're like, well, that that happened in the show. It, it looks like this this evidence shows that this is this is probably what George was planning, you know. And he, he so I I think in that sense, you know, it's another thing where where I go, oh no, that's the show. The show really was like George did really reveal everything to them and. That's what they put on screen, you know, the plot points at least, not the not the how you get there. <clears throat> but um, um, but other than that, I'm trying to think of anything, anything that really like changes too much besides um, uh, that's the only one that really changes any of my and maybe the locusts, the honeyed locusts thing, where I'm like, huh, you know, like. To, to George, to George, really was he really thinking about it that carefully? But other than that, I mean, I don't think much much theory changes. It's just kind of an interesting thing seeing these like relics and how things changed and and stuff like that. Um, yeah, that's about it. It's just that you know George George does you know make major changes and is fine with making major changes. You know, like keeping Victorian alive changing the house of the undying vision you know and who who it refers to and stuff like that so george is willing to make these big changes uh my second question is will you take any of this information going forward to doing your fan fiction um i mean i'll probably like when we get to jamie chapters like make sure that hildy gets uh gets (laughs) gets uh mentioned um maybe some little things like that but other than that you know it, it might it might it might help with stuff, but I don't. I can't think of anything major that that would that would change. You know, you know. I guess the big thing is whether or not, like, you know, I really want to like keep John. You should probably hold yeah. off in, until uh, um, we get the the third part of this. Yeah, that's true. But I've I've also like struggling with the fact that like I know that George meant for John to be resurrected, but. I don't want to resurrect him. And so I just don't know what to do with that. So it's like against like George's like ideas, you know, at what point does the story just veer into a new direction? Veer into new. I mean, it already has, like we're already doing stuff that like, that George probably didn't think of. So who knows? Who knows? So we'll see. We'll see. It's fun. Nonetheless, it doesn't, you know, that's fair. Um, but yeah, no, this one, this one was, I, I would argue this one, this revelation was better than the last one from G stuff. And, uh, part three sounds even, even better. So we guys, we will keep you up to date as soon as these come out. But as always, uh, I'm sure Preston will leave the link so you guys can read it for yourself down below in the description. Uh, Preston, is there anything else you wanted to discuss from this post? No, no, I think we covered it. I think we covered it. It's good stuff. It was good stuff. Very impressive. With that being said, guys, thank you so much for joining us. As always, we'll see you all next time. Have a good one. And we are back for the grand finale of the G. Steph Cushing Library... Secrets of the Cushing Library, Ice and Fire, George R. R. Martin Findings. And uh, Preston, it's been a minute. You're back from vacay. How was that? 
Oh, I mean, vacation um, when you have children is not really vacation. It's sort of mm. like weekends are no longer <laughs> weekends. Everything's flipped when it comes to um, when it comes to uh, life. Like you're like, oh, when the weekends and long weekends come, you're like, oh no, oh god, I'm not gonna <laughs> do with the kids. But yeah, that's the way vacation is now. It's just like, oh god, how are we gonna entertain these kids um, the <laughs> entire time? At least for the next it's couple of years. <clears throat> Like well, in, I mean, until know. they can go off on their own, like what eight, nine, until you know? until they can go until they can go off to college. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Until they can, oh, like you know, adequately oh. use like a like a portable Nintendo Switch or Game Boy or whatever the fuck the kids nowadays play, and you know, entertain themselves yeah, on that. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, you, you give them tablet time, but it's still it's it's overwhelming, overwhelming. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't want to get into it, but like you know, kids they they ask the same questions over and over and over and over again, just just to like, I don't know why, just to uh, just to have a connection with you, I think. But it's like you get sick of answering the same questions over and over again, um, and it's nonstop, you know. And they're just hyper, and they're climb, they climb on everything, and it's just, uh, they're you know, they're great, they're great, <laughs> they're great. Well, they're wonderful. So, it's, um, <laughs> the G stuff. What, what, what do we got here? We got the G stuff stuff. So, so while you're on vacation, um, the uh, G stuff they released. For those of you who don't know, G stuff is a Reddit user who went to the Cushion Library and uh, did, dug through some of George R. R. Martin's. Uh, 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 unpublished works and uh, some of his drafts and stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the 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 best the best sort of like fan findings and stuff to to you know talk about theories and change like in years. I mean, it's it's just uh, it's it's good stuff. And but here we are, the grand finale. While you're away on vacation, they released the final one, and I know for a fact that you wanted to get into this and mm. tell me all about it. So, what's going on with the latest one? Um, well, yeah, I mean, uh, so let's go, let's go through it. So, um, G stuff, this, this is focusing more on G stuff covers a lot of John, uh, some Cersei and some Tyrion Mm -hmm. and and different observations, um, from earlier drafts of, of the, uh, A Feast for Crows. Um, back when A Feast for Crows and Dance with Dragons were combined and, um, so we have like John chapters that were written in 2003, 2004, and we can compare them to what is published in 2011. And we can kind of see like what George changed. Um, and, you know, one of the big things that George does is he kind of writes bluntly at first and then realizes that he's he's gone overboard and needs to make things more subtle. And so one of the things that, uh, that that's kind of nice about looking at these early drafts is, is he's not as subtle. And so you can kind of get a spoiler, a more of a spoiler that before something's just hidden, hidden with, you know, so or just alluded to. And it'll be pretty like outright said in an early draft for, of what of what George does. Um, so so, for instance, he starts out uh, G Steps talks about how. Uh, John's wolf dreams. So, so we know that um, a feast for uh, a dance with dragons, a feast for crows, starts with John as ghost, um, and he kind of has different uh, different feelings about the other dire wolves and stuff like that. And there's a line that a lot of people talk about, which is pretty much our only update on what Rickon and Sh- and Shaggy Dog are doing um, in in the in the published. A Dance with Dragons, 
there's this one line where it's essentially um, Shaggy Dog taking down a, an enormous goat, which everybody kind of knows that it's a it's a unicorn because it's on Skagos and Skagos is famous for unicorns. So the, the published line is like a wild rain lashed upon the black brother as he tore at the flesh of an enormous goat, washing the blood from his side where the goat's long horn had raked him. And so from this, you know, fans rightly, you know, have deduced that, okay, Rickon really did go to Skagos and Shaggy Dog seems to have taken down a unicorn. Um, in the, in back in, in 2004, George was a little more blunt with it. Um, he says his black brother was closest prowling over wet rocks through dark holes in the ground. He had taken down a monstrous goat, a shaggy white goat, as big as any elk with a long horn jutting from its brow. And he was gorging on its flesh, sharing the kill with his other half. And so in that now, it, you know, it's longer and, and people say, oh, okay, well, what's really the difference? Well, the difference is the second one actually mentions um, Rickon. I mean, he talks about his other half. He's there. Um, there's a longer description of the unicorn, things like that. Um, <clears throat> what's also interesting is it says his black brother was closest, uh, which... This gets into uh, so later. G stuff will get into into more of this, but um, John's feelings about the wall and blockage through the wall and things like that. So, like if you look at the map, Castle Black to where Bran is should be closest versus like Skagos, um, but I think the wall might be blocking, so Skagos would be closest, I guess. Um, you know, or, or, or something. Um, but it, you know, none, nonetheless, all of this was changed. Uh, G stuff theorizes that it was changed because John shouldn't know that Rickon is alive at this point, And therefore he didn't want to mention the other half. Cause that would like spoil to John that, that Brandon Rickon are alive. Um, but, uh, just, you know, it's like a little, little, little small change there. Um, what, what, what kind of interests me here but, is that, he shares the kill with his other half. So, like, is the implication here that Rickon is starting to become somewhat wolf-like or, 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 or feral? Exactly. Or or at least, you know, highlighting the fact that, like, he, Rickon 2 is, is um, both is, – is linked to the wolf, uh, you know, very telepathically, you know bound and connected like we kind of knew that from from a game of thrones and a clash of kings but but um more so you know that that rickon is going through the same the same feelings like you wouldn't really think about it like even though aria has connections with numeria we don't think of numeria necessarily being aria's other half because they live very separate lives um but uh or we don't think about sansa's other half being dead you know, like it's just because it, it, she was never really that connected to Lady, um, just a little bit. You know, so here, like uh, the idea is that Rickon is is bound to Shaggy Dog as at least as much as John is to Ghost or uh, Bran is to Summer. What I find weird about this mm-hmm. is that so why does he have to share his kill with Rickon, is that, is that implying that maybe Asha or oh, I'm sorry, Osha is no longer with them, or what? What about the the clans on Skagos? Have they not 
Right. I mean, it kind of implies that it it does it does um, close like what's going on. Like he, you know, that means they're out in the wild surviving kind of in the same way that Bran is surviving, right? This whole like sharing your kill thing is something that like Bran and and Summer were, was doing on their on their trip up and 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 like and across the wall, right? That he's out in the wilderness and thus the kill need, needed to be shared. Um or, you know, an eventual mirror to to Danny sharing the kill with um with Drogon. It, it could also be possible that. that Rickon is just um, going out hunting and he wants to be closer to uh, the woods with Shaggy Dog. And, you know, maybe they did. Maybe Osha is still yeah. with them. <clears throat> Excuse me. Maybe Osha is still with them. Maybe they have made contact with the clans on Skagos. This is just him just out having a good time. So that's also possible. Yeah. You know, George just or most likely George doesn't fucking know and he didn't want to pay, paint himself into a corner. Um, because this, this makes it sound like, okay, they're in the wilderness together, eating together. Well, you know, maybe he wants it to be that Bran was, I mean, that Rickon was captured by some clans and, and Shaggy Dog is off, like separated from, from him. So who knows, you know? That actually, um, I think that's the better explanation that. because you were also the one that said, uh, one of the reasons why the world of ice and fire doesn't touch on a shy or Karth is because George probably wants to visit them in the future. So he doesn't want to be confined to what's in those books based off what he yeah. wants to, yeah. to cook up. Yeah. This is definitely George's, George's style. This is why, you know, when I talk about like Quentin is alive, like people, people, People get so angry about like, no, Quentin's definitely dead. And it's like, nah, dude, like George doesn't know. He like purposely left it open because he doesn't want to paint himself into a corner. He he gives himself outs all the time on everything. Like at almost every character, like even even a character that I do firmly believe is, you know, is probably dead. Like uh, like um, uh, Grey Wind. Allardim, yeah. He, he, there's still always an out, right? There's always an out for him. Like, oh, they never found the body. It escaped. You know, they, he does this constantly, constantly. There's so many characters, you know, uh, where it's just hearsay that something happens and then that, that allows him to do whatever he wants, you know. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a situation. Um, so, so next, um, there was some, uh, so also some cut stuff about John and Ghost, um, sensing each other. And so <clears throat> I've tried to make sense of the wall and what it means, uh, when it comes to, um, telepathic connections. And, you know, George is, George is a little bit of a contradiction, um, when, when it comes to like what the wall does. So like, he talks about how um, he can't sense ghost if ghost is on the other side of the wall. And, but at the same time, there's definitely like moments where John gets visions clearly caused by ghost when they are separated by the wall. Most notably when ghost returns um, and John is like fighting in the yard and, he gets, he, you know, he rages against Iron Emmett or he's like in the bathhouse and he has a vision of, of Catalan and Rob telling him that, that Winterfell isn't his and things like this. He's, he definitely gets these dreams, but the wall should be blocking. Um, and there's some explanations. Like I think when he's fighting Iron Emmett, the tunnel 
to the wall might be open or something. They, you know, they, they, he tries to give these hints, but it's not necessarily, you know, consistent. Um, or when, when, um, uh, Jojen crosses the wall, he changes personalities completely. And it's like, well, whoever's sending him visions can no longer send him visions. But, but if that's the case, how did Bran get his dreams and all sorts of set stuff? Um, like, what's what's really going on and i think it's it's he does kind of explain it here in this cut paragraph so george says um on the other side of the wall with the wind was still colder the wolf sensed that was where his brother had gone the gray brother who smelled of summer with the cliff between them the wall he could not sense his brother but sometimes when he padded down the long cold burrow under the ice and poked his nose through the hard black bars. He could feel him. The snow was falling where his brother was, covered all, covering all the woods in white. And there were hunters near, living men and living men and dead men, and the ones who wore the shapes of men but smelled only of cold. Um, so this idea that in this passage it sounds like Ghost is in the tunnels at Castle Black under the ground. And while he's underground, he can he can kind of like bypass the wall. You know, he's going up to these like holes with bars and he can bypass the wall and sense summer beneath it. So I think this idea that you, you can send messages underneath the wall might explain like visions and things like that. Because the werewood net and the werewood roots might go underneath the earth. And therefore, if we're talking about like how Bran is getting his visions um, from from anything north of the wall, it would be underneath the wall, even though the wall is a, is this blocking telepathic barrier. Um, you know, it's it, it's still not exactly consistent with George on like when the wall blocks and when it doesn't. But I think it might give a little more explanation that he that George definitely believes you can go underneath it. At least. That's a very good point about the roots going under the wall, being able to send the signals, because we know that you can't really go over it, and we see that in uh, Fire and Blood when Good Queen Alisane tries to fly her dragon over it. Yeah. There's definitely a bunch of weird stuff, and, and there's, you know, there's whether or not, you know, messages can be reflected off the moon and things like this, which I, you know, I talk about like the satellite, the satellite nature of, of the moon, <laughs> the moon being a satellite. I know, but it, but it, the, like they, they literally are constantly talking to the moon. And so it seems like they're, they're like bouncing messages off the moon, like a satellite or something. There's like ways around this barrier, but, but the wall seems to be a telepathic barrier, but a, it's a telepathic barrier here. You can go under and it's a telepathic barrier that maybe you can go over at certain times. To be but, fair, um, characters talking to the mo- characters talking to the flames. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> um, so yeah, he, he was a little more explicit about how, like, yes, definitely underneath underneath the earth, um, you can you can get you can bypass the wall. But yeah, the dragons have have trouble flying over the wall. There's there's and then there's the the issue with Arel's eagle. Like, why did the Arel's eagle explode? Um, and you know, may, maybe it tried to cross the barrier of the wall or something. You know, so, um, you know, some people just say, oh, Melisandre did it. And it's like, well, if Melisandre has the ability to explode birds, she doesn't think about it ever. You know, <laughs> like she, she takes credits for it, but, you know, she doesn't ever do it again or talk about that magic. 
Um, Gstef notes that there's the hunters aspect to that passage, that there, there were hunters, hunters near living men and dead men and ones whose shape smelled of men, but only of cold. He's clearly talking about the others being hunters, which means that the others would be hunting Bran, which I suppose we get some element of that when he finally arrives at the cave, the, the cave of the thread crow that the dead, the dead men come out of the earth, but there's no real firm explanation on like why the others would know about Bran would care about Bran would want to kill Bran. Like certainly in the show we get, we get an explanation, but um, in the book, we don't really have that kind of um, explanation. Like why, why would the others even know about Bran and why would they be hunting him? But here they seem to be hunting him. So there's also some more aspects to like ghost wanting to range beyond the wall quite a bit. Like that's mentioned in a dance with dragons, but it's a little more explicit in this. And so some people think that like, okay, if, um, if ghost wants to range beyond the wall and he's being very explicit about this, like maybe after John dies and John in John 13, that ghost will range above uh, north of the wall again and maybe go save, save Bran in the same way that like Bran summer saved John, John would then save Bran at some point. Um, you know, there's some speculation about that, um, that like Ghost would come out and so- somehow save Bran at wherever, wherever he is, um, which I was thinking about that with with time traveling Bran and like time traveling Bran's escape. Um, so I have this theory that like if you've watched my time traveling Bran series that like that time traveling that Bran is in a time loop trying to trying to get out of the, the cave of the Thread Crow and that if um, that the various elements of his life, like Hodor and Mira Reed and Jojen, are all elements that he needs to escape the pit. Mira being a great climber, Hodor holding the door, things like this. Um, and that one other aspect could be like he needs John. He needs he needs Ghost you know, as well. And that everything he's doing to manipulate John's life is just to bring Ghost North to help him out of that pit. And that, uh, that, that, that's what he's actually doing. Um, that he just, he needs Ghost to like help him get out of that sinkhole or something. Um, what else is in here? Okay. Um, oh yeah, there's more. Let's see. So there's more talk of the of the Night's Watch calling John a warg, as well. Apparently, in the in the older in the other um, in the other uh, the previous drafts, and I think that it's not surprising because if you if you read <clears throat> a Clash of Kings and a Storm of Swords, John makes a lot of references to being a warg, and everyone talks about him being a warg, and then and it, it's this like point of tension that like oh he's different he, you know he, he might be a warg Ooh, that's very taboo but then when a, a dance with dragons happens it, that's not really the reason people at the wall are angry at him they're angry at him over food shortages they're angry at him for for letting the wildlings through the wall but they don't really care about him being a warg but there there there's more of it in his original draft that like the real reason that that uh you know, one of the big reasons that they're going to kill him is because they fear him being a warg. Um, but a lot of that was just cut. Um, but, uh, yeah. Um, but moving on, we then have 
Melisandra. So next, um, G. Steph notes that Melisandre has more visions in in the early drafts of, um, or at least there's different rumors and there, um, a, and and more visions from Melisandre that are a little more explicit. So, uh, do you remember very briefly uh, that? Well, I mean, it's a small plot point, but it becomes a big plot point because John does the baby swap because of it. But at the very early in a dance with dragons, John is scared that Stannis is going to burn Mance's son. Do you remember this? Yeah. For the King's blood. Right. And it's not really, it's not really certain like, um, like why, like I, there's a rumor that maybe they'll wait, they'll awaken dragons from stone. Um, and then John kind of, you know, but John, there aren't any stone dragons. So like, what are they talking about? And so just on this, like Maester Eamon like mentions that, Oh, I heard this guy talking about how they're, they're going to need some King's blood. So maybe you should get rid of these babies. So he does the baby swap and then sends off, um, like, like Eamon Battleborn off South with Sam. So in, in the original draft, it's not Eamon that brings the rumor to him, but it's Gilly. Gilly hears the, uh, the rumor and and there's they're they're just a little more explicit that this is they're looking for king's blood to wake some dragons up and they um john is more specific about like thinking about the eggs like could there be eggs here at the wall like did did queen alisane leave these eggs or did stannis bring the eggs from dragonstone which makes you think like okay Maybe that's why they couldn't find any eggs on Dragonstone at the, in the epilogue. Did Stannis actually take the eggs, you know, like from Dragonstone? Does he have the eggs? But there's no mention of these eggs or or, or anything or or how they would like you know, hatch these eggs or whatever. But it, it seems that George uh, George was at least thinking about um, about Stannis being very explicit with like why he wants to burn, why he wants King's blood. Um, but of course, in the end, like Stannis doesn't burn any kings. Like he burns Rattleshirt, so maybe Stannis wasn't doing that. And you know this this baby swap, this baby swap is very funny because it's something that happens early in in A Dance with Dragons: A Feast for Crows, and it affects like Sam. But it's never really thought of again by anybody. Like no one really, <laughs> you know, like no one is really worried about the king's blood of these babies. No one's really threatening about like burning these babies, but we do know that like this eventually kind of leads to like the Shireen burning thing. That was definitely like George's plan that, that we keep thinking though, he's going to burn these babies, but it's actually like he ends up, you know, they end up burning Shireen. Um, but, uh, but so they need, they need um, to burn someone with king's blood to what is it resurrect dragons that's that's the whole shtick right to wake wake dra- wake dragons from stone but I mean, why, it's clearly a parallel to to danny and the pyre right, right? but why go all the you way know, to the burning. wall to do this they, they could have done this from the beginning when they had edric back on dragonstone before he escapes and instead of leeching him just burn him there on the spot it would have been easier it might be because there's more power at the wall well, Dragonstone is, you know, is, is a place where dragons thrive the most. So it's like the perfect place to do it if you're going to resurrect them. It's, I mean, you're absolutely right. It's, it's, it's all very silly. It's all very <laughs> silly. It's, it's George, it's George throwing around a lot of prophecy and like 
to make people kind of scared into do into doing things and and stuff that fans that believe in prophecy and believe all these prophecies mean something like like cream over but like yeah no it, it makes no sense like if if stannis had eggs at the at dragonstone he would have he would have burned edric storm a long time ago, right? <laughs> like to awaken those eggs, right? To be fair, like there was no talk of eggs. Melisandre's there. powers are like so random and somewhat arbitrary because at one point she needs king's blood to supposedly kill uh, three other kings, which kind of comes to fruition. But at the same time, if she also needs king's right. blood to do that, like why not just drain his ass like a gallon and just do all these things at the same time? It's, it never really made much sense to me. It's yeah. It's one of the reasons I actually quite like the Melisandre chapter from A Dance with Dragons, because we eventually just realize that Melisandre's full of shit. Like, nothing, all of this is just bullshit. Like, her, Melisandre seemingly has just random powers that fit the plot whenever they need to. She has random prophecies that she believes that fit the, that fit the, pro, the plot when they need to, right? Uh, you know, uh, leeches, exploding birds, shadow babies. Like, uh, you know, wakening dragons from stone. Like, it's just, it's all so utterly random. Um, like what prophecies she believes about Azura High and what needs to be done. And she can survive poison on this day. And then we finally get this Melisandre chapter and you realize that no, she's full of shit. She doesn't have any, she doesn't have any powers. Like, you know, she can look into some flames and maybe eke out like, uh, like, a a vision of something, but that's about it. But Preston, what about the shadow assassin? You got to explain that. You know, the shadow assassins is, is, is the, the one thing that perhaps she can do. <laughs> Everything else is just bull. Okay. It's just bull. And I, and so all of these like prophecies that she's going around spookily saying, they, they, I do think that they, the, the, the story is better for just removing them. It, it just, people are paranoid about her. That, you know, like they're making stuff up, like around her. She, you know, she kind of mentions things about power in King's Blood, and everybody's like, "Oh, she said once that there's powers in uh, in King's Blood." I guess we better like get rid of the babies because she's gonna burn them. It's like, well, she didn't say that. Like, you know, like that's that's freaking crazy. You know, so um, I I guess I I I like the the situation where people attribute stuff to Melisandre when she doesn't actually do stuff. And that she's just full of shit. And because the fandom does it too. Like all these people at the wall think Melisandre is spookier and more powerful um, than she is. And she, she, she can't do anything. But yeah, but it's her. Like there's just a lot more of this apparently about how they want to, they want to kill Mance first. And then, then once he dies, his, his baby will be king. And so then they can burn the baby and then they'll have two Kings to wake the dragon. And, um, you know, that kind of thing, uh, which, you know, this whole burning of Kings to wake dragons from stone, obviously just, you know, it sounds like Danny, you know, but, but then it makes us think like, okay, if, if these prophecies are, are so widespread, you know, did Rhaegar believe these things? You know, did did Dunk and Egg? Did Egg believe these things at, at, at Summerhall? Like, uh, like, you know, it seems that Arian Brightflame kind of believed something like that, or something weird, or you know, the Mad King Ares might have believed something about rising dragon rising from the ashes and stuff like that. So, um, it's um, 
Yeah. So they have these quotes like, like, you know, like, um, you know, Stannis saying, uh, you know, I don't trust the word of a of Oathbreaker. Raider sealed his fate. The law says death. And then, and there is power in King's blood, Adam Melisandre softly. Power we may need before the war is done. Though she did not speak of dragons, John sensed them moving in the smoke behind her words. A cold finger walked up his spine and he resolved to say nothing of the child. You know, like, Melisandre didn't say anything. <laughs> you know, she's just like, there's power in King's blood. And then John assumes that she's talking about like killing killing children to wake dragons from stone so it's um you know i i like how john De- i like how george deleted these things i like melisandre being more of a fraud uh i like how how you know so you know every time i look at the the changes that are made they are superior changes you know that george george deleted stuff and it's like good that he deleted certain stuff you know like, and in okay. re- regards to like Melisandre and Stannis, like so they want to burn Mance and then have a spare for for uh, Aemon Steel's song later if they need it. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I mean, or if later people are like, oh, if Stannis dies and gets burned by Ramsay or killed by Ramsay, and then Shireen gets burned, that's two kings to wake the dragon. The dragon being John. You know, that kind of <laughs> bullshit. And he's not stone. He's not stone, but he's like, he's like cold, like, ah, like stone, clever. you know, like they, they'll find, they'll find something. It's he's hard and cold, like stone, you know, you can take prophecy and twist it anywhere you want, but you know, I'm sure somebody, somebody's doing that. Yeah. Um, um, so, oh, there's, there's, there's an interesting thing that, um, uh, where Melisandre has a vision about about John going north with twenty rangers, um, and her going along with him, which is which is an interesting little um, thing about. So apparently, in the in in the previous versions of of um, a Dance with Dragons, a Feast for Crows, John is more obsessed with, or at least. John feels it necessary to bring justice to the to the mutineers at Craster's Keep, and that's deleted from that's deleted from the published book, um, which is interesting because that's a plot in the show. Yes, right. That 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 like in the show, John felt it necessary to bring justice to the people at Craster's Keep, which. I just thought it was a dumb plot. I thought it was just like, why would you waste men, the very few men you have, to go off to Craster's Keep? And they claimed it was for like intel at the time. They're like, in- but here, this is after the the Battle of Castle Black, so it wouldn't even be for intel. But for some reason, John wants to lead an expedition to bring justice to the men at Craster's Keep, and um, Melisandre would be brought a- along for some reason, uh, and. In the end, it was deleted, which is probably for the best, because there's no reason why John would bother with Craster's Keep. Like, y- you don't have enough men. Like, why would you be going and killing these guys that are that are at Craster's Keep? Like, it makes no makes no difference. Um, Interesting. It, ma- it makes me and, wonder if Dave and Dan had access to some of this stuff because, I mean, made it into the show. Right. That's the weird thing is that that this like boneheaded idea of. Of John leading an expedition to to bring justice to the men at Crestor's Keep was George's like, original idea. Show. Yeah, yeah. 
It did it mean like cuz cuz these this this was like back in 2004. Um like way way back, but I mean way before the show like was 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 even in in development, you know? So I mean, I, of course we don't know when George cut it. Maybe he cut it quite late. Um the idea of going to Craster's Keep. But nonetheless, it's like the fact that that idea got passed on to that got passed on to to D and D is just really weird. And uh, um, and you made a very good point earlier about the Walkers hunting Bran and coming after him specifically. And now John's John's mission to kill off the mutineers. Yeah, mm. Dave and Dan definitely had access to these way before anything else. You th- you think that like you think that like he he gave them like they they said okay we're gonna do the show can we also have early drafts of of a, of a dance with dragons a feast for crows and. George might have like handed those over to Yeah, see, to I, I don't I don't think they asked. I think George offered up anything and everything he had to help with the process of making the show, especially when he was uh when he was writing Dance of Dragons at the time, they were preparing to make it. So, that would make sense. It, it also makes me wonder if George didn't plan to give Cold Hands as much time on page as he did if the original idea was John going sure. to kill the mutineers. And let's be clear, like, the show should have still included Cold Hands, and eventually they kind of did, because even though George has said that Uncle Benjamin isn't Cold Hands, I still think Benjamin is Cold Hands. And it should have been him who went out there to wipe out Club for Carl and the other mutineers. Like, they could have easily have fit that in, in the story if they wanted to. Yeah, it's, it's certainly possible. It's just such a weird thing that, like, that was actually a plot. Like, the, the, the justice to the mutineers, and then it was just, and then it was, it was removed. And then something that we see in the show. You, you know, this does give me some hope reading all these drafts that didn't make it, especially the John Mutineers <clears> thing, because you're, you're right. It's kind of dumb, but it gives me hope that George, who clearly gave Dave and Dan his blueprint on how he wanted to finish the series, he can go back and change things up a bit. Because now, like, yeah. I have some hope now. I have some hope that Arya won't be the one that kills the Night King. Yeah, it, clear, it clearly clearly changes his mind. I mean, it, it very it very well be may be that like Benjen was cold hands in some earlier draft, and then he and then he shifts things around. I mean, we, we see a lot of these things. There's a lot of these characters that get shifted into different characters, responsibilities that get shifted into different responsibilities, characters surviving longer or dying earlier. Um, that George changes his mind a lot. So that, that, that's an interesting aspect of him when people are like, oh, this is going to happen. Well, George hasn't, George, like, it hasn't, something hasn't been written yet. George hasn't made up his mind. Um, the idea that, like, George has everything planned out is ridiculous. Like, he does not, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And he said that he doesn't, he doesn't have everything planned out. He said that, 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 like, he gets bored if he knows what's happening. So, um, but yeah, the uh um by the way, like I do wonder about Craster's Keep cuz you're right that like Cold Hands kills some of the mutineers from Craster's Keep. Do you think that like the Craster's Keep plot is just done now? Do you think that like the the even though like if you count the bodies, it's not enough bodies, but is the implication just no, nah, like Cold Hands killed them all and they're done? And that we're, that's the end of the Craster's Keep plot. I think like, that's the end of the Craster's Keep plot. It, it, it's I know this is going to sound boring, and we ha- we discussed this before in regards yeah. to the pink letter thing. I do think Ramsey wrote it because I don't think George has enough time to introduce an intricate plot and mysteries with the pink letter. <laughs> like I, I know that sounds very boring to everybody, but I I think right, it's done right, right. because he wants to just move on. It's funny because with other stuff, you know, like when I first read the series. And, you know, you get introduced to the Brave Companions in A Clash of Kings. And then, 
you know, O'Rourke and Biter. And you're just like, these, these, these are throwaway characters that you could have just never had appear again. And then they had to be like, instead they had like this detailed story in a storm of swords with, with like Jamie and Brienne. And you're like, okay, fine. We can, we can, we, we don't have to worry about these characters ever again. Nope. Nope. They're back again. Brienne has to like kill them off. Like one by one, we have to deal with every single brave companion by name, you know, like every single one of mountains men's needs to be killed off. Like, by like individually, we need, we need every single story on ever on how each of them dies. Uh, which, which I think is ridiculous, but, um, you know, it, the mutineers, it's like, like, maybe they're dead. And if he wants, he, you know, if he wants those last few to still be alive, he could still have them alive. I don't know. But yeah, I, I, I did want to ask about that. Like, is that, is that just the end of the mutineers? Like, well, you know, he killed, he killed a few of them and we just assumed that that was all of them. I don't know. So, <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's like maybe maybe he he would he would bring them back. I mean, they can be John's food source, the ghost's food source, as he goes up to find to find a uh, Bran or something. I don't know something. Um, um. So also in the in the G stuff stuff, uh, uh G stuff found that um Mel brought up the night fort a lot more she just she just brings it up a lot more saying like oh we need to move to the night fort the night fort is the heart of the wall you know and all of that kind of stuff was cut which um which i mean which is which is a interesting thing because like there's plenty of time for melisandre to talk about the night fort and it's just never it's never really brought up again like they're restoring the night fort but and may, you know, maybe for an eventual seat, but all the stuff about how like the night fort is super powerful and it's the heart of the wall. And then we need to go to the night fort is, was, was kind of cut, you know? So maybe cause George is just like, ah, I can't get everybody back to the night fort. That's just too much, too much work. Um, what are some other, uh, odds and ends in here? John odds and ends. Um, Liana Mormont, her name actually changed a couple times in the drafts. So, do you know who Liana, Liana Mormont's original name was? It's supposed to be Jarella. I see it here. <laughs> Jarella, yeah, Jarella, and then it, she gets changed to Marjorie Mormont. Oh, <laughs> and then, and then to uh, Liana Mormont. You know, like, um, and G Steph mentions that there's one line that actually is pretty good that got cut, that he doesn't know why it got cut. So Stannis says, Stannis says, that insolent whelp in need of hiding, I'd call her. Um, Stannis read from the letter, Bear Island knows no king in the north, uh, whose name is, whose name is Stark. He crushed the paper with his fist. The girl presumes to shout at me. <laughs> the girl, which is a pretty funny line. The girl presumes to shout at me, like, cause she wrote in all capitals. <laughs> I know why he cut it. And that was like, I think that, um, uh, it's a fairly recent phenomenon that all capitals means shouting, like something from 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 being online, like like you know I don't know if like in that time all capitals was considered shouting. So that's cut it for that that's reason. a good that's a good okay I didn't think of that one okay that's pretty that's that's a good point. Yeah. So you know 
But it's 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 a pretty funny line though. The girl presents a shout at me. I would I would assume he cut it because um, he doesn't want Stannis to come across as like, you know, that like ridiculous to you know of, of a little girl, but Yeah. Yeah. Little girl getting to him as well. You're right. The girl you know, the girl angering him too much. Um so also uh Dolores Ed he had a dream where he was pissing off the wall and then the horn of Joramond um blew and he was afraid to piss, you know? Um and so that was that was cut for some reason. Um I guess, you know, too many too many people having dreams. Um and then this is a big one. Um yeah, more more about like John being a beastling, people calling him a beastling, which was seated more in in um, um, a Clash of Kings and a Storm of Swords, and him being a warg being a big deal, something that all of a sudden everybody doesn't really care about um, in uh, in a Dance with Dragons too much. Um, and then finally, or not finally, but with John, um, Janice Slint uh, doesn't die, <laughs> at least in these early chapters. Oh. Um, yeah, which, ah, uh, gosh, gets me on my Janice Slint, like, uh, I've got this like Janice Slint rant about like how I think Janice Slint is a horrible plot. Like I just, I, I know some people really love like the whole John having a fitting execution of Janice Slint. Um, but I think that. Janice Slint, like every aspect of his story is just poorly done. Like it, it, it bugs. Yeah. It bugs me. It, so it bugs me that in a clash of Kings, Tyrion spends all of this time, an entire chapter, like interviewing Janice Slint, like having dinner with Janice Slint and then deciding to send him to the wall. Um, supposedly it seems because he was angry that he killed, uh, that he, um, uh, not just the fact that, like, keep in mind that, oh, Jesus. So Janice Slint is really, is really a loyal character to the Lannisters who essentially guaranteed them their, their crown. Like, they, they, the, the coup fails because Janice, because Cersei convinces or, um, Littlefinger convinces Janice Slint to support Cersei. Okay. This is the, this is the whole big thing. So he's a loyal Lannister man, and he's given he's given Harrenhal uh, as a reward for for such a move. Okay, the Lannisters owe him everything, and so it always bugged me that Tyrion just waltzes into town and is like, you know what, Janice Slint, like you know your boy Alardim, like killed a baby, and uh, you're you're Cersei's man, so I'm gonna like send you to the Wall. It always bugged me. Because it's like, well, what kind of statement are you making that to everyone around you that those that help us get sent to the wall? Like, it's such a it's such a weird move that Tyr- that Tyrion does this. Like, I, he does it essentially because he sees he sees Slint as Cersei's man. Um, you know, there, there's like a small element of like who ordered uh, um, Ned's execution, but it's like Slint was kind of following orders from Joffrey and Joffrey is probably following influence from Littlefinger. So it always bugged me that like, it's such a bad example to take such a loyal man who you, who you owe everything to and send him to the wall. And meanwhile, 
Littlefinger, the real threat, nothing's done with him. Like Littlefinger just, I mean, uh, Tyrion just drops the ball. It just, it's, I find, I always hated the beginning of A Clash of Kings for this reason. And I think we did an entire video about the, the biggest plot hole about how Tyrion just lets Littlefinger get away with everything when he knows Littlefinger like tried to kill him and he was like he like had his whole sky cell adventure in the eerie because of Littlefinger and the dagger like it always bugged me that like that that Tyrion was was focusing on on Janus Slint instead of Littlefinger like it, I, I I hated that but then I was like okay I guess George just really wanted Janus Slint to be beheaded by John. That was always like the excuse I had in my head that, that that it was clumsy. It's this really clumsy plot, but it's all because George was planning the the execution of Janice Slint. And then I find out here that no, George George came up with that like super late randomly, and that Janice Slint was going to live and have a bigger plot. It's just so freaking random. I also don't like even though like fans really love like John cutting off Janice Slint's head. I always thought it was also stupid because, like, John doesn't know that Janice Slint was involved in in the, the net execution thing. It's completely random that he executes Janice Slint uh, in that way. And he's not really – and even if it's like, oh, it's fitting poetry that, that like, Janice Slint gets beheaded because he – by John because he ended up killing John's dad by beheading, by beheading him. But it's not really – fitting because he was following orders from Joffrey and like it, it I I never I never thought the parallel was very good. I thought every <laughs> aspect of Janus Slint is just clumsy. And this is just and of course like on top of this all of the other dropped plots that center around it like Alardim or the or the or the or the religious fanatics or that just disappear, you know? Like it and then to find out that like Janus Slint like it, it just didn't, it just, he, he didn't even plan on killing. Like, I don't know. He didn't have any plans for Janice Slint. He just, he was going to send Janice Slint to the wall and he didn't know what to do with him. And then, so I think eventually George is just like, screw it. I guess I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm just going to have Janice Slint beheaded. Um, oh, another thing that also like is so stupid about the Janice Slint plot is that Janice Slint is, is the loyal Lannister man at the wall who is willing to do anything for the Lannisters, despite the fact that he's been sent to the wall, which again, none of these things make sense. The Lannisters send him to the wall. They send their most loyal person to the wall as a, which is a horrible example. And then he gets to the wall and he's still loyal to the Lannisters to the bone. And, and like, even though they betrayed him, like every aspect of it's just, Oh, I hate it. Um, but, but like there's an entire plot in a feast for crows where they're talking about sending a person to the wall to assassinate Jon Snow, yet they still think Janice Slint is alive. Like, why would they just, why wouldn't they just have Janice Slint do it? Like, I don't, it's just, oh, just, there's so many aspects of Janice Slint that I just hate. But this gets into all of this, that George had no plan. And I think he just figured, ah, might as well just kill off Janice. Because no, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing with this character, which is very clear. You he didn't know what he was doing with the character. Oh man, oh man. 
Oh, it's okay, buddy. Nothing, nothing makes sense with Janice Flint. Nothing, nothing Tyrion does. Nothing, nothing that happens at the wall. Nothing that Janice does. Nothing that everybody, nothing that Cersei does. Just oh, it's such a such a random freaking thing. By the way, there's actually when we get into Cersei, there's actually even more about like the assassination plot of Jon Snow and how um, in the original draft, Arrain Waters recommends like bringing a drum bringing the drummond like the 500 person drummond with like 500 men up to uh to assassinate Jon snow now preston the next character mentioned in the post that you wanted to cover was cersei what's what's going on there um well so cersei um the most of cersei is the same uh there's 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 one big um, there's a couple big things, but mo- most of Cersei was actually was was the same, except for some some kind of uh, like language rewrites. But one of the things is, you know, Cersei four, my favorite chapter, um, is the is her small council, and one of the interesting things about uh, one of the things they talk about was um, they're talking about the, an alliance with the Ironborn because they're. They're discussing how Roos Bolton is going to get his forces north in order to um, to retake the north. And so, um, as we know, it, in, in the real uh, published book, like Ramsay comes down and uses Theon to open up Moat Kaelin. Um, but there was discussion in this previous draft of using small fishing boats from the Vale like a whole ragtag fleet to ferry Freys up, um, uh, up north. And now this is, this is relevant because Pycelle questions whether that's a, a, um, a safe idea. As always, Pycelle in Cersei chapters, he's the voice of reason. Right. And so like Pycelle being the one who's like the only not idiot, at the at the small council, or the or at least the the not nefarious and not idiot character who's is like, wait a minute, like what about what about Stannis's like uh, cell sales? Like, couldn't they come down and just like totally slaughter the force? Um, and and they kind of you know everybody kind of dismisses it and and, and ignores. Um, uh, but of course, what we do know in the book is that Manderly has built a fleet in a Clash of Kings. That's this this Chekhov's gun, the Umber Manderly fleet that was that that Rob ordered him to build in, in a Clash of Kings uh, that we have not yet seen. Um, that we kind of know is lurking in the plot would would be there instead because you know he Pycelle is saying can't can't Stannis' cell sales like come down and attack. But what he doesn't know is that Stannis' cell sales have, have abandoned him. Uh, Salador San abandoned Stannis. And so it's not that that fleet would come down and slaughter the, 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 the phrase, but the Manderly fleet would. And so we still have that Manderly fray rivalry, but originally um, George's idea was clearly that the Manderleys were going to come down, come out and defeat the phrase. Um, at sea. Uh, but then that will, all that was, you know, scrapped and, and, um, you know, the, the phrase followed Roose Bolton up by land and are, 
you know, at Winterfell and we have the whole, you know, interaction and rivalry um, in the snowstorm and all of that comes to be. But it, but it's interesting that he was that it was it was rather clear that that George originally had this idea that he was going to use the Chekhov's gun of the Manderly fleet. He was going to use the rivalry and and um, and uh, have have the slaughter of phrase be done while they're in a bunch of like ragtag fishing vessels. Well, if you're someone who hates the phrase, then that sounds like a great addition. But I kind of like what we got instead with the tense confrontation between them and, and Manderly and Winterfell and him coming in with one of the best line in the series. Had he lived, he would have grown up to be a fray. So I'll, I'll take this. And what, what, I, what I also think is better about the way George did it now is Manderly is hell-bent on revenge and it's self-destructive to him. And like, and, and other Manderleys. Um, and I think that's a, a better theme than, yeah, we're going to kill those phrase and get them back and then just kill the phrase and get them back. No, it's like, you've got to, you know, the idea is that vengeance is, is consuming and Manderley, Manderley doesn't come out of any of this unscathed in the, in the published book. You know, he, he's nearly dead lying on the floor. Um, when we last see him. So yeah, it's, uh, it's it's um i definitely like the way george changed things i think just like killing everybody at sea and and having it be neat like that is just is not really um it's not it's not george you know and the idea once again i have to bring dave and dan into this the idea that they uh cersei would ally with the ironborn uh, i'm wondering if like if this will make it into because this happens in the television show in i believe season seven Mm -hmm. and eight I wonder if, if yeah. this is going to make it into the books going forward, that the Ironborn will, that somehow Euron will actually ally, ally himself with, with Cersei, or if he's going to change that up. I think, I, I mean, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of evidence uh, that, that, that that's going forward. I mean, for, first of all, there's the Forsaken chapter where, you know, he, he you kind of have this vision that that Aaron has of like Euron with this like woman of flame and the obvious person you're supposed to think of with a woman of flame is Daenerys. Oh, Daenerys. I thought Melisandre. Uh, it, it's a bait and switch and it's probably Cersei and wildfire and things like that, mm. you know, like that. So the other thing is that there's a lot of weird connections. If you look at family trees and, and histories between the Westerman and the, and the, and the Ironborn that, are there that you're like, huh, like, why are there two house cases and things like this? Um, one on the Iron Islands and one in the Westerlands, you know, and, and little things like that, little marriages, um, uh, you know, that, that, you know, like, why did, why did George choose these connections? Um, and it just, you know, it seems like it might be something for, you know, a future thing down the line, like the Westerman and the Ironborn together. But um, that's my guess. I think I, you know, I think it's pretty. I I look at the family trees and the and the and the Forsaken chapter, and then and then the show as as evidence, and it's like, yeah, it does seem like there's going to be a Westerman Ironborn uh, alliance at some point in the future. Anything else with Cersei? <clears throat> uh, a few a few small things that don't make much of a difference. Um, so at some point, you know. Um, I think I said before that that Kyburn uh, mentions bringing, you know how Kyburn during that chapter mentions uh, setting an assassin to the wall, and a Rain Waters recommends using one of the Drummonds 
that can hold 500 that he notes to to bring up these these Night's Watch recruits to assassinate John. And so, you know, there's this idea that, well, if that happened, like, what would... Why is why is a ship that size important at the wall? Like, would it be used to evacuate hard home or something? Would would you know? Why was he thinking about some huge ship being at the wall, and what use would it be? You know, because I, I think in in the in the published story, he makes use of of Tycho Nestorius's three ships instead. But it may have been that he was thinking about using. Rain Waters' ship. Um, the the plot in, of in uh, draft. the plot of an assassin going going to the wall and trying to take out Jon Snow. Eventually, that's given in the show at least. It's given to Roose Bolton and Locke, the Vargo Hope clone. Yeah, and doesn't really go anywhere, right? He just kind of dies at at uh, Craster's Keep. <laughs> or, or... Well, the plan in the show kind of sucked, and this seems like the better version of that, kind of. Like, Roose Bolton just sent one guy, whereas Kyburn wants to make sure there's no room for error by sending multiple yeah. guys. Yeah, I mean, I don't think the assassination plan is, is, is very good to, to begin with. Like, there's plenty of people at the wall already that are loyal to the Lannisters, that would that that would kill Jon Snow. Really? Could you like, could why? you think of one guy? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. Um, so so a few other things from the Cersei chapter. Uh, so originally Boris Blount died. Like Boris Blount is still alive um, in in the books, but he's looking very sickly. And so some people like Boris Blount originally did die, uh, and. Um, and so it was, it was, it was not when, when Cersei kind of harasses Pycelle to reveal Marjorie's moon tea situation, she uses Giles Rosby's death. Like, oh, you let Giles Rosby die? What's wrong with you? But originally it was Boris Blount. And then also with Cersei, she mentions the Night Fort a little more. Again, we, we, we talked about this, how how Melisandre was just more focused on the night fort being the center of the wall and how important it was. Apparently even more time is given to just night fort background and night fort focus from Cersei and things like that. Oh, and um, a rather large thing that's actually kind of interesting about the Cersei chapters is there's no Maggie the frog. Oh, in the old. Um, yeah. So apparently that's a somewhat, um recent addition that that Maggie the Frog was not in those in those original because you know obviously this is how it's Maggie the Frog is pretty central to reading Cersei's story now um just understanding like the madness and the, and the and using it as a as a flashback to understand like Cersei's childhood and things like that but it's it's, it's just not even there no mentions of Maggie the Frog and and, and prophecy and any of that. Um, and uh, G Steph says, well, in some ways it's kind of, it's kind of uh, unsurprising because the Cersei character, um, you know, in a clash of Kings and, and a storm of swords where, where there's Tyrion is, is a clear adversary in, in those, in those stories. She doesn't have any sort of, sort of like, mention or talk of 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 maggie the frog now granted you're not in cersei's head in those in those books but you know it's it's um she's she's very willing to talk to Tyrion. you know they they, it just seems like a sibling rivalry not not a not a 
I, I, I have a prophecy that you're going to murder me kind of like <laughs> situation. Um, and it, and really, even though I think a lot of us really like the Maggie the Frog stuff and, and how it, it, it makes Cersei crazy and it's, it's all very intriguing. It doesn't actually square with the Cersei from a clash of Kings and a storm of swords, you know, like she should, she should be, <laughs> she should, she should be treating uh Tyrion rather differently if if she's really been having like prophetic thoughts about him for years or whatever so well with how much the night fort's been brought up lately i wonder if it'll be revisited in the future because george did say that there would be clues and hints to what's to come for winds and dream with the fire and blood novel and the night fort comes up there with good queen alisane so i'm wondering if it will be like super important going forward, or maybe it's been dropped and it's just there as added background lore for the wall and the others. I mean, it's rather clear that that the night, whatever happened at the Night Fort with with the original Knights King um, and his deal regarding the others and something like is relevant to the to the macro plot of of why the others are returning and what they're looking for and, and the sacrifice of children and things like that. Like, I think that's, and and the founding of the wall and everything, you know, I think all of that, all of those stories of what really happened at the night fort with the Knights King so long ago is really, is really fundamental. And and the secrets are there. Um, And so it's, it's, not surprising that George would want to have more focus on the night for it, like leading, have ever having everybody lead to that um, place to to maybe discover the what what occurred or to return there. Um, but um, I don't know. Then he then he you know George you know went away from it. You know, and I was just like, yeah, maybe we won't we won't go to the night fort. Maybe it's done. So I don't know. Does, does that bother you, by the <laughs> so, way? Because I know you don't like the magical aspects of of the series sometimes, and you liked how in Game of Thrones they toned it down quite a bit. But uh, th- does that bother you? Because the night hmm. fort clearly there's something magical going on there, especially with the gate and how that operates. No, I mean, I, 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 I the black gate is a bit much for me. Like this big talking door. Um, cause even if it's, you know, robotic or, or whatever, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's set up such a weird way. Like why would, like if it's, if it's sci-fi, why would anyone set up a, a door, like a big talking mouth and, and have it based on like the Night's Watch vow? And if it's fantasy, um, it's just like so magical and weird and inexplicable. Like why would you set up anything like that it, it like practically speaking what why why would someone do that so um i don't know you know i don't know it's it's i i think george just kind of did it in, a, in the sense that a big mouth like seems creepy and that they like you're you're walking in and being physically consumed and and that's a creepy image i don't, I don't know if you if you really put the the thought into um why anyone would actually do that <laughs> you know uh i mean maybe it, you know the best explanation i have is that like oh these 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 primitive religious uh people who worshiped the old gods would would bring in their babies and think this was some sort of like god and want to sacrifice their child to it or something but the only way you, you open know, it is through tricked. the vows of the night's watch and the night's watch was constructed specifically to 
keep out the others. So, so how but, does that make any? But then you're giving ba- then you're then you're giving babies to the others because the babies just pop out on the other side. So the Night's Watch is like complicit in in the sacrificing of children mm. and things like this. I mean, the, you know, I, I, I've 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 done videos on this and and have you know riddled out what I think is going on. And the only the only the only explanation that makes sense to me is that the Night's Watch was complicit in in child sacrifice, but um, just as they're complicit with Craster's Keep. But what? never really made sense to me was why anyone would construct it that way logically like like if you were actually sitting in a situ- like creating a situation where you needed to you know give ch- you know children to the others periodically as part of some sort of deal like how would that really involve building a massive wall and and a night fort with 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 it with a gate that talks based on the <laughs> night's watch vows it's 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 really just kind of out there, you know? so I don't know. Reminds me of um, the, uh, the the talking uh, lion's head or, or the tiger's head from Aladdin, where it you know it op- its mouth yeah. opens and you go down. Into the- right, like you know, who is the engineer on that? Why why did they construct <laughs> it? What what are the blueprints? Like, did they sit around and be like, okay, what's the best way to trick people into giving up their babies? I know, you know, a talking door. Oh, really? Tell me more. You do have blueprints on that. I do, you know, like, okay, okay. We, you know, we're able to do that, but, but we, we need to trick people into giving up their babies. But at the same time, like, you know, clearly we don't have enough power to just force people to give their babies over, but we do have enough power to construct a massive wall that's 800 feet high that goes on for hundreds and hundreds of miles. You know, like certain things just like don't square, but, you know, it's a fantasy story. What are we going to do? Right? <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> but no, that's, that's, do? that's really cool that like the night fort gets mentioned this many times, but he cut back on it. I, I wonder if you're right, like if he's going to just drop it because – I feel like if we had maybe one more book planned, he could probably dive into it, but the story really yeah, is getting but, away from yeah. him. Oh yeah. Yeah. He he can't he can't he can't uh wrap it all up. And you know, in the sense that like George R. R. Martin likes mysteries and likes certain things not explained, like he's got a lot of things that he can leave unexplained, so um so what else? Um so that's that's about it for Cersei. Um they uh they um but going on there's some stuff with Tyrion. So the the Tyrion chapters um in these early drafts of, from 2003-2004 have about the first 3 Tyrion chapters, which means it's you know it's Tyrion meeting meeting um Illyrio and then meeting everybody on the Shy Maid and getting on board. And um, one of the things that, that is introduced when he, when Tyrion first gets on the shy maid and he's, is, he sits down with a, with a history lesson with, with, um, Halden Halfmaster and, and young Griff. Um, and this is used for a lot of exposition. And actually, if you go in here and read these chap, read these like pages that, that, stuff took pictures of they're not well written it's it's just a lot of exposition but um Haldan asks Aegon to give him a history of the band of nine that is like uh, uh, uh Maelys Blackfire 
uh, Melis the Monstrous Blackfire and 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 the uh, the Nine Penny Kings like give a give a history of like how like what happened there and Aegon goes on and and spews the whole the whole story but it's like a fantastical story of how like the band of nine like stood beneath an apple tree and like made sacrifices you know and um and made a pact and 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 uh the reason that Melis is called the the monstrous is that he sacrificed his own son beneath the tree and it's like clearly there's some parallels to werewoods and things like this but also like the sacrifice of his 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 only son has elements of the burning of shireen you know um in that and you know he gives he gives this like story uh that that's eventually just cut like cut completely um and uh it's you know it, it it's worth it's worth a read if you, if you want but like it's it's um it's just a lot of talking on on history like the, I, i'm trying to think of like a moment in the story that was as just full of exposition as as this and I, the only one i can think of is is salador san like giving the history of of the the relor religion and the Azor High prophecy, where it's just like, why are you going on for pages about this like random prophet, like that has nothing to do with things, you know? And it, 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 so it's here, like they go, they go on for just, just pages and pages about the Band of Nine and and the the the, the War of the Nine Penny Kings, and it just, it's just like, ah, like I kind of understand why it was cut because it's just, it's kind of irrelevant, um, but. You know, obviously, like G. Steph and others would look at this and say, "Oh, all of this history about the Black Fires. This must be like more fuel for the fire that that Aegon is actually a Black Fire. You know, um, that that this hist- that that George is like seeding all of this Black Fire history. Um, and and I and I'm and I'll, although I agree that you're you're definitely supposed to like think that at the same time, like in this conversation with Halden and Aegon." It's very clear that they don't think Aegon is a Blackfire, you know, like they're called like the Blackfire pretenders and like um, and things like that. And and they're not seen as, you know, they're not being portrayed as as the heroes at all, you know. So um, so, you know, it's it's all it all of this was eventually trimmed down to essentially just Illyrio mentioning that the the male line of the Blackfires like ended with with Melis, um and uh and you know that's that's one of the la- the only things kind of left you know um uh from that but but yeah this band of nine um story which goes on for just many pages is just kind of um kind of ridiculous so my my theory is that var like in the in this chapter, one thing they they get very direct, and they're like, "Oh, what 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 Maylis lacked was legitimacy." Like like, you know what what when people talk about legitimacy, it's really you're you're harking back to the Varis discussion about about where does power reside, 
And, well, power, power resides where men think it re- resides, which is the same thing as legitimacy. Like when pe- when everybody agrees and thinks that something is true, it becomes true. That's what you know legitimacy is essentially. And, and so I think Varys's plan is to take somebody who may or may not be Rhaegar son who may or may not be a Blackfire, who may not who may not be a Lyrio's son it doesn't matter but he but if you tell each person that it's that it's that person you know then you can if you tell a different lie to each person they're going to all be getting behind the same the same character and i think that's more what's going on that it's not that Aegon is a Blackfire, but he's telling the Blackfire, the people that would support Blackfires, that he's a Blackfire. And he's telling the people that would support him because he's Rhaegar's son, that he's Rhaegar's son. You know, that, that it's a different story for a different type of supporter. And, and that's why I think it's important. I don't think he's actually a Blackfire. I don't think it's maybe up, will ever be revealed or, or if it's even that important. Uh, it's just that I believe that that's one of the lies that, that, he's, that Varys is going to be telling people. Um, that no, no, he's secretly a Blackfire, you know, um, in order to get, you know, like, you know, um, uh, all, you know, um, House Peak or something, you know. Um, yeah. Um, so there, there's some other, there's some other interesting things, um, in there, in it. Um, so some people remember that George back before, uh, A Dance with Dragons was, was, published george had read had read a sample chapter at a con and he read Tyrion 2 and in that version of Tyrion 2 Tyrion overhears illyrio speaking with halden and they mention the words queen dragon and sword and everyone kind of thinks like oh sword must mean the sword must be blackfire you know which probably you know um and so it's this is in these earlier drafts um and so it's like there's there's a lot more there's a lot more um things that are a little more obvious that yes that Aegon that young Griff is going to have Blackfire uh that um but um you know that that he mentioned he mentioned sword and it's like well what's what's so important what's what sword could be important that 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 they that Halden and Illyrio would be talking about it and it's like well I mean what what would what sword is important to a king well blackfire is you know what else could it be you know like i mean dawn you know? <laughs> like what what other sword could it be you know like um yeah uh also interesting is that there is a there is a line in which um in which people are talking about the the Blackfires and they say that the Blackfires owned three treasures. One of the greatest treasure was a clutch of dragon eggs, which, right? Which um, now, if you think like, okay, the Blackfires had a clutch of gra- dragon eggs, and then originally maybe that clutch of dragon eggs is Daenerys's clutch, and that's how Illyrio gets gets a hold of it. Um, it you know, would be interesting. Now, this seems to perhaps be retconned to Alyssa Farman's eggs. But, you know, again, like, um, you know, could, could they be both in the same, but then, um, a second treasure of the three would probably be 
be Blackfire the sword. And then the third treasure is just kind of a, a mystery. We don't know who what the third treasure would be. Um, you know, something that George maybe hasn't thought of yet. You know, could it be um even if you're gonna say like, okay, what's as what's as important as as black fire and and a clutch of dragon eggs? The only thing I could think of would be Aegon the Conqueror's crown, but Aegon the Conqueror's crown disappeared in Dorne um, with with uh, Daron, uh, you know, and 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 his um, and so we don't really know what happened to it. Like my only guess would be like the Blackfires could only get a hold of it if they somehow like house ironwood got a hold of it and then passed it to the black fires but then if he had the crown why did he never why did they never wear it or bring it right. out at that point so i don't know so you know it's like what could be the third the third treasure of the black fires real I quick know. i have to ask no. is any of this coming into the fanfic like the third treasure and all this other stuff uh yeah i've thought about it i've thought about it i mean certainly like Aegon's crown seems like a, a, a MacGuffin that needs to return to the story, right? Um, and so it, I think an, e- an easy explanation would be that that somehow, um, you know, House Ironwood secretly got a hold of it and it went missing and no one, you know, they've been holding on to it for years and years and years and they're going to finally present it to somebody, finally present it to young Griff or somebody, you know, something like that. But, you know, it might be, but... Um, Right, because you th- that crown, the crown's got to come back, right? <laughs> uh, it could be lost. It could remain lost forever. It's it's fine. It's, you know, not not everything needs to come back. Well, I mean, it's something I thought about when watching House of the Dragon. When when he says, "Oh, he has every Aegon has every uh, symbol of legitimacy. He has the Conqueror's sword. He has the Conqueror's crown. He bears the Conqueror's name." Like it's something that hit like like hit my mind. Like oh. Well, young Griff would have the Conqueror's name. He would have the Conqueror's sword. Where does he get the Conqueror's crown? Where did the Conqueror's crown go? (laughs) Oh, it went missing in Dorne. So uh, maybe it'll come back. We shall see. We shall see. Um, Let's see. Um... What do you? What? what, What's your opinion about of, of the burning of Shireen? By the way. As like a plot point, I Stannis didn't Stannis directly say there would be no burnings in that regard. Isn't that something he says, if I recall correctly? <sighs> but then he burns. He he burns the he burns the people in the sacrifice chapter, right? But started, but that's because, because they were cannibals. That's there's a complete <laughs> there's a difference. I don't think Sir, I don't think Shireen's gonna be uh, cannibalizing anybody. I mean, you're right that you're right that. Stannis always has a little bit of a justification, like, oh, they were guilty of X, you know? Um, He'd have Alistair, to be really desperate. And, and at this point, yeah. he kind of, uh, like, where Stannis is right now, like, right out, isn't he in the Crawford's village as it stands now? Yeah. So, as of this he's, point... He's, he's weeks, he's weeks, he's weeks away from the wall. Right, like so... He's, he's, he's best case scenario, three weeks away from the wall. So the the battle would have to go very, very, very poorly. And some of the main theories out there is that he's going to use the Frozen Lake to trap the Bolton Frey forces. So he seems like he has the upper hand now. So I can't imagine Shireen ever being burned by Stannis. 
Unless it's right, Melisandre then, then maybe doing something? Unless it's Melisandre and Solis doing it without him. But then it kind of takes away from the whole, like, Melis the monstrous burning his only son kind of, like, idea. Like, there, there, there's such a, um, like, Solis, like, yeah, it's, it's really mean for Solis as a mother to burn her only daughter. But, like, Solis is a character that we barely know. You know, Solis is, Solis is appeared in like three chapters. Like it's the, like, she's not that big. She's not that important. Stannis is important. Solis, like Solis burning Shireen or Melisandre burning Shireen. Like Melisandre, you're like, well, yeah, that's not a shock. Cause Melisandre like is a cruel person. She burned people all day long. Right. So that's not that shocking. And then Solis is a character we hardly know, you know, um, it's only shocking if it's Stannis. Right. But Stannis, like, logistically, how do you get Stannis to Shireen for that burning? It's, it's, uh, yeah. Like but, I said, as know, of apparently... right now, he, he can have the upper hand. He can. Uh, there's a theory about the night lamp where Stannis, uh, it's, it's a maneuver he, he used on, 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 when he was master of ships to lure the Bolton Frey forces over the lake and have it collapse and, you know, something has to go down to where he loses so much, but somehow survives to make it back to the wall to order and, you know, be cool with that burning to somehow turn the tide. Unless they're going to get Shireen from the wall and bring her to Stannis's camp somehow. Once again, like, you're right. Logistically, it doesn't yeah. make much sense as to how he could be involved. So if they are going to, if they are going to burn right. Shireen, it has to be. Also, also, th- also thematically, it, ha- it should be happening at the night fort, right? If he's going to be the night's king, like sacrificing his children to the others, mm. like sacrificing his children, like, like thematically he needs to, everybody needs to go to the night fort, which hasn't even been restored yet. <laughs> like he needs to get there and he has to have five, he has to have a reason to sacrifice Shireen there. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it seems like George, this was what George planned. Like he's got a lot of a lot of foreshadowing for it. You know, this Melee's the monstrous thing. He he specifically told D and D that Shireen was going to get burned. Like he told it. Like we know that this was his plan. At the same time, I just don't see how he's getting from a to c like i don't see how like i don't see like how it happens um and you know maybe that's what he's stuck on <laughs> <laughs> it's possible that he will change this that she won't be burned it, it's it's entirely possible but i really don't right. see how a little girl survives into the story going forward um in this location specifically when like there's right. at, at this point there's chaos on the wall Right. But then, you know, like, I, I get it. Like, you know, there's, you know, he, you've got to have this king. You've got to have him sacrificing his child. You've got to have a sacrifice in order to wake the dragon, to wake up John. Like, I get it. Like, I get all of that. But, yeah, at the same time, like, I just don't see how the pieces get to that. You know, the, um, you know, I used to, used to, you know, I did did a lot of econ i did econ in college and like sometimes you're you're taking an exam and you have to do a proof you have to get from you and you know how the proof is start it's supposed to start like mathematical proof you know how it's supposed to start you know where it's supposed to get to and you kind of like if you don't know the answer like you can't figure it out you there's like degrees of 
of bullcrapping where you kind of like go, you go backwards and then for, for, from the beginning, you go backwards from the end and then you, you kind of meddle around in the middle and hope that, that the, uh, the grader doesn't, doesn't notice that you, that you screwed it up, that you, that you didn't actually know what you were doing. Um, that's where we are here. That's where we are here. Like we, we know where we are now. We know where we need to be. I don't know how we're getting there, you know. So, but in but in the uh, the world of Ice and Fire, they changed it. He he got his name because of his grotesque appearance, just a, just from his looks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so completely cut. So like, yeah, it, originally Maylis the monstrous was not just monstrous in appearance, but also monstrous because he he sacrificed his only son, um, and so which. I mean, there's so many parallels of this. I mean, like the the rat the the rat cook like eating his own children, that that, that kind of stuff. Like you know the, the corruption, um, but like you know killing killing one's own child like is foreshadowed in a million different di- million different places in, in in the story. Like I get it, you know it may, it thematically makes sense that Stannis would be getting here, but um, and Maylis the monsters is just another example of this, but. Uh, how how logistically you know is 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 difficult but um yeah yeah um let's see i'm trying to think of uh let's see anything that that was that's pretty much the Tyrion stuff the Tyrion stuff was mainly about that that edition of of Maelys the monstrous um and then let's see a few other random things um so in the original, this is this has to do with Dorne. In the original uh, Dorne story, Ares, Oakheart, and Darkstar both surrender at the end of the Queenmaker chapter. Mm. And so Balon Swan, um, so Balon Swan is is arriving, and so rather than than Arion trying to convince the 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 cut girl to lie and say that. And to say that, um, uh, and to say that Darkstar did things, he has to, he he, they have to convince Ares Okart to lie about the Queen making plot to Balon Swan, um, in order to in order to to not have the whole thing come out, and you know that and that's it. And Arion Arion's response to like trying to convince Ares is. It might require more fucking, you know, as 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 what he's supposed to do, um, and cl- clearly this, you know, I don't know, it just it wasn't as strong, and so there was supposed to there in in his notes, George's notes, there was actually supposed to be a second Aries Okart chapter, um, but uh, it you know this was all canceled, and we only have one Aries Okart chapter. Um, and and uh, and obviously you know Arya Sokart dies in the Queenmaker chapter and and everything is completely different. But originally originally he and Darkstar are both like captured and and um, surrender. So interesting enough. Um, yeah, some other things with Arya. Um, in the original Arya story, she doesn't go blind. She they go straight from Cat of the Canals to the to planning the. Um, House of Black and White meeting from the ugly little girl and her getting um, her assignments and they didn't have the uh, they didn't have the the, the blinding um, 
the blinding of Arya is just a is just a a parallel redo of the brand story you know of of him being locked in the in the crypts of well it's twice like brand put into a coma and then he's then he's also like locked in the crypts underneath winterfell and so it's like in the darkness his his third eye awakens opens so like you know they blind her and we know we we know what happens her her abilities you know awaken and so she uh you know that's about it um but i could see i can see how it was just easily added in there may, may you know maybe um George needed some filler. Maybe he wanted her to to wake up, you know, and have and have more um, warging abilities. But uh, you know, it does now that looking back, at, you know, it does seem a little. It's it's a it's a chapter that probably could have been cut. <laughs> her going blind and blind Beth. Um, I mean, I guess she 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 just listens to a lot of politics and stuff, right? Uh, eh, makes it more um, interesting, I guess. What else? Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think of anything else. That's that's about it. Um, but uh, uh, and then you know, other than that, there's hardly any changes to Davos, Brienne, and Sansa. Um, in those early um, uh, in those early chapters, and, and it's not surprising because um, uh, Brienne is a very well planned out like series of chapters. I think George knew exactly what he was doing with Brienne, and Sansa and Davos are pretty short, so you know there was just um, not much. He, he he kind of knew what he was doing with those characters right from the beginning. Uh, and that's mostly yeah. it. Yeah, that's mostly it. Um, interestingly enough, Bran, Quentin, and John Con had no chapters um, in these early in these early drafts, showing that he wrote these wrote these chapters late, which makes sense to me. Um, I know, like we kind of know that uh, um, John Con was a a late addition that originally he wasn't going to have a point of view and everything was going to be kind of just from everything that we needed to know about John Con and young Griff was going to be from Tyrion. But then George kind of realized that, Oh wait, there's, there's more story to tell once they go to Westeros, who's going to pick up from there. Um, you know, we we kind of see that maybe that story could be Arianne's later on, but what was going to bridge the gap between Tyrion and Arianne? And so he kind of needed to invent Jon Con as as a character, just in the same way that he invented Barristan later on. Like he he never intended Barristan to be a point of view, but it happened just because he 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 needed Daenerys to leave at a certain time and needed needed someone to tell the story in Slaver's Bay, and so. Barristan, Barristan POV was 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 created, and so like and and Bran being the hardest chapters, um, I could understand that he 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 um took a long time to get to him and put him put him off just because there's just so much difficulty with the time travel and and what's going on with the macro story, the Quentin stuff is is about you know the 
that's that's the heart of the um of the knot right the the Miranese knot but um but that's also kind of that's kind of funny that he didn't get to well because originally he wanted Victorian to die but then Aaron would be the one going to Slaver's Bay and then he switches that to Victorian adds in the Quentin adds in the Tyrion and they're all messy and, and then Daenerys and the stories are all um getting you know conflated and that's the thing that that made uh, dance with dragons take so long was that you know but um was was those storylines so it's understandable that in these early drafts he didn't have any of these people he didn't have bran or quentin or john con hmm. but uh yeah that's 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 about it that's the fact that it. he's uh going through some um, of these drafts and changing things up it, it has me hopeful for the story ending up much different maybe there will there'll be some hints of what we got in the television show but overall like i am hopeful that a lot of stuff will be changed going forward um just to make everything fit together yeah. mm. it's quite it is quite amazing cuz cuz the the cha- the changes I mean, everything that, that G-Stuff has gone through, like, the changes are significant. I mean, completely rewritten chapters, um, created POVs, just major storylines just dropped. Um, it's, it's, uh, other ones picked up. It's, 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 it's quite amazing how much, uh, change had happened to A Feast for Crows and A Dance with Dragons over the years, you know? Um, from what what he originally wrote and what he originally planned to what was published, um, just you know, as he writes, like certain things, he realizes just don't work out, and he's willing to he's willing to change. You know, he doesn't he doesn't force himself too too much, you know. And so I I do agree that just because the show did something doesn't mean he's going to do that, you know. That's like that's just, that's my hope. Maybe maybe I'm drinking some copium but uh inhaling that shit, but that's my hope. Um the one thing I am very curious about is the Nightfort stuff. That is I I wonder why he dropped that. Maybe because some things are just better left as mysteries. Um maybe he doesn't have enough time to uh, dive into that, but multiple characters all over the place keep mentioning the Nightfort. But what's funny, but what's very funny is that he had all of these mentions to the Nightfort. Melisandre as being obsessed with it, Cersei mentioning it, um, and then he just he he deletes those references. He could have kept those references, you know. He could have kept the, a lot of them in there, and he, but he he trimmed them all back. And then when he got to the brand story, he also like hardly had any, like he didn't mention the night for it again. Um, so yeah, I mean, I. Maybe he wants to keep it a mystery, but I, I do also think that yeah, he was just like trimming back the importance of it. Like, oh, maybe maybe we won't get to that. Uh, better, I better better remove these references, um, um, or may you know, or he he just wanted things to be a little more subtle. Like if he just kept saying night fort, night fort, night fort, everyone will sit there and go, oh, there's going to be a sacrifice because that's what the night fort's about. It's about a sacrifice, you know. So. It, it does seem that George George definitely likes making things more subtle as time goes on. Uh, you can you can tell like his blunt writing like uh, in his first drafts, and then and then he pulls everything back. Um, but and almost all of his changes are improvements, which is also kind of cool. Like you know you see like uh, you you see an old idea and you're like ah oh, yeah I didn't I could see why that wouldn't work 
and you know what what we're given in the published version is is, is pretty good you know like i I like the John Conn chapters. I like the Barristan chapters. You know, like I think those, those, the fact that they're like invented, you know, on the fly, but yet they're, they're, they're great, you know? So, um, yeah, I, I can't see how a published Winds of Winter would be anything like Game of Thrones. I just don't see how. The only the only way I can see um, how it would be would be um like Vitarian allying himself with Daenerys, how in the show that was uh Theon and uh and uh, Yara slash Asha. I, I don't see how Jorah and Sam could meet <laughs> at this point in the story. I don't I don't <laughs> see how even at, at this point in the story in the books, I don't see how Cersei and Euron would be allied. You're right though, I never thought of that. I never thought that the woman in flame could be Cersei with the wildfire. I always thought Melisandre, because woman flame. Um I didn't think it would be Daenerys mm-hmm. either. That's a good point. Uh fuck. Like even John resurrecting, like I don't M- Melisandre's at the wall, so you have that recipe. But yeah. does she even have that abilities? Would she? Yeah, I, I, you're right. I don't see how any. And then you have the Dornish storyline. You, you, you saw how you saw how clumsy you saw how clumsy it was in the in the in the show, the resurrection of John. Like, why why is he being resurrected? Like, you know, like why why are we doing this? Like, there's no reason for it. You know, Davos Davos being like, hey, hi, Melisandre, woman, I, woman that I hate, who I blame for the death of my son. <laughs> Can you? Can you can you use your voodoo magic to resurrect this guy I don't even know? Sure, let's let's do it. You know, like that Um I mean, I guess by accident, you know, like the only thing is like, oh, we're trying to bring back Stannis. We're trying to do something for Stannis and then we just r- randomly resurrect John, you know. And even Stannis, like where he is right now, he has a good position that he can defend from very successfully. Like the fray and Bolton forces would have to be godly or have an ass pole to win that. But at the same time, you know, stranger things have happened. So, well, it's also just how it's written. Like, like the fans analyze Stannis's position and realize it's kind of strong. But when you're reading the story, Stannis is is set up to be the loser. You're like, oh, there's no way this dude can win. And, you know, like he's, he's freezing and they have no food left and it's ridiculous, you know? And you're like, okay, like Stannis is going to lose. The story is telling us Stannis is going to lose. And then you examine the text and you're like, well, Stannis has these advantages. Oh, Stannis is going to win. So Stannis is going to lose again, you know, like somehow, you know, it's a double, it's a double twist, you know, or something, or he wins and then loses. Um, I don't know. It's how, how how everything is getting to that, to, to Shireen getting burned. I don't know. And uh, by the way, I, I you know, I love you, but uh, you, you've been focusing on way too much stuff in the fanfic that uh, the audience is interested in. But I feel like the audience really wants to know what's going on with John. What's going on with Stannis? What's going on with Jamie? Oh, but this, this, this is, you know, by design is to try to try to get the the the. Um, the stuff that people aren't so interested in first, but it, a lot had to do with the, um, the timeline on why, on why mm-hmm. I focused on what I did. Like people are like, Oh, why did you do two Hota chapters, Elaine and Ariane and John Con? Like, you know, like, don't you want to get to the, 
the the meat the meat and potatoes like what's meat happening on the wall in the north you know and it's mm-hmm. like yeah yeah but this other stuff's really important you know it is um you don't want to get straight to straight to that stuff you know we'll get to but that I, stuff and, I, and i'll ask you again so some of this stuff here that was in the drafts some of it might be making into the fanfic or just what's in george's uh, you work know, there, 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 there might there might be some 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 ideas here and there that, that can be uh that can be incorporated you know um definitely you know like i definitely thought about those three treasures and things like that or like you know does does this story about melee's the monstrous like you know should it should it be brought in like should we be talking about the band of the band of nine more um stuff like that there's definitely there's definitely um uh it did it made me think again like it made me think about craster's keep and like oh right those guys we we need to resolve that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Um, but no, if that's if that's all that G stuff had to say, uh, thank you to G stuff for going out there and uh, doing yeah. all this extra work. Um, this is going to go on your channel, so please leave a link in the description so people can check out G stuff's uh, previous postings. And uh, yeah, they can yeah. they can read yeah. them for and, themselves. And, you know, there's a there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, scans of the actual pages, uh, and they're they're interesting to read. But yeah, well, once, once again, thank you to G-Stuff. And uh, Preston, do you mind if we wrap it up here? Sounds good. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. As always, we will see you all next time. Have a good one.